everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show podcast, a place about games, friends, getting better. My name is Ben Hansen. I'm joined by Jacob Geller. All good games, January. Woo! All good games, nothing but good. We got Jeff Marchiafava. Is, is that a slogan I should? Know? Oh, have you not been on Twitter lately? Everybody's <laughs> screaming "All good games, January." Oh, okay. <laughs> All good games. Yeah. Well, I know what's going on. And welcome to February. Uh, and also, Jenna Garcia is here. Hey, what's up? Welcome. Uh, you should call this podcast a catalog because we got the J Crew today, folks. Uh, I added you all, and yes, I did write down that joke verbatim. Oh, um, but it's always fun when I add like people in Discord and get the group assembled for the podcast. And I realize, oh, the four of us have never podcasted together. There's never been an episode of the podcast with just us four. So we're really? breaking new ground today, everybody. Please get ready for it. Uh, today, I am so excited to talk about some damn good games. We're going to be talking about the Dead Space remake from EA, which is out now. We're going to be talking about... Hi-Fi Rush, apparently this game is called, uh, from Tango Gameworks. The surprise drop from last week that we touched on a little bit, but now uh, a lot of us have played it, so we get to unpack more of it. We're going to talk about Season, A Letter to the Future. Um, I want to touch a little bit on the announcement of a new crew game, which sounds like, sure, I guess, it's a racing game, a new crew sequel, but there's a twist here that I'm very excited about. So the Crew Motorfest is that thing. And then back after the show, we have some great questions submitted over there on Patreon. I think it's another good batch of questions. I was, I'm always delighted to read those questions, but sometimes I'm jumping up and down on the couch while reading them because I'm so excited to get to answer these on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, who submits some very good stuff each and every week. Oh, man. Where do we start? Hey, Jacob, we're spoiled. Should we just start with Dead Space? Start, start with the start with the, the fanciest looking one. The fanciest looking one. A very damn good looking game. This is the Dead Space remake, everybody, from technically a EA Motive. Um this so we did the deepest dive on Dead Space, which is the best, most thorough discussion about Dead Space on the internet, just in case you're curious, right when they announced this remake. So it feels like, and Jacob, you were on there, it feels like it was not that long ago that we just played through this entire game, and our takeaway, if I remember correctly, was this game holds up really well. Dead Space mm -hmm. rules. Um, do they even need to remake it? And then after playing a lot of it, Jacob, uh, what's your what's your hot take? Do they need to remake this thing? I I am shocked at how how much they have made the argument that it benefits from a remake. Great. Like I was I was really everything they showed I was like the graphics are better but Dead Space already had good graphics I kind of don't understand and now that I'm 5 hours in I am like you know short of Final Fantasy 7 maybe this might be like my favorite uh remake strategy i am just like so so impressed yeah and yeah i know uh kyle who was not on this episode i don't know if you've noticed um but on twitter he's like i think this might be the best looking game ever made and it's an interesting take um you can go a lot of different angles with that i think it helps that like everything's metal you know like how the the droids in star wars look perfect like the first time you saw k2so in rogue one it's like well that's the best looking cg i've ever seen in my life but like something about metal just really shines easily so i get that it looks beautiful uh, okay, a lot to unpack. Jeffum, how much have you played to this thing, and how much did you play of the original? Um, probably five or six hours of of the remake, yeah. and maybe like a third of the original game. Okay, perfect. And then Janet, you're coming in cold, right? Yeah, I didn't play the original game at all. I'm like 10 or 12 hours into the remake. I'm on chapter, I'm not sure anymore, 
nine. Okay. Maybe. Let me guess. Something in the ship broke and you have to go and <laughs> fix it. Is that where you're at? Did you see people um, scurry around? That does sound familiar. Um, <laughs> okay. So, you know, lots, lots of uh, memories float in my mind right now. <laughs> uh, okay. Where's your temperature at, Janet? I'm most curious about you. What do you think of this thing? Jumping into so much of it for the first time. I really loved it. And then I found a couple pain points oh, no. and have kind of cooled a little bit on it um but like from the jump i'm like wow this is a really great game uh it's funny because i played the first you know i do like my best of 20 whatever watch where i'm playing like new games every week on my uh twitch channel and last year i did like callisto and i'm like eh, i don't know it's like whatever and then when it like starting dead space was wild because i'm like oh man it's so clear how callisto was just like a really bad copy of this way better like everything's yeah. better like i think the execution in terms of the visuals, I think the gameplay is super fun. It very much is, you know, Resident Evil in space. So I'm like, great. Love old, the old, more traditional Resident Evil. Yep. Space is fun. Um, there are times like where I was playing it, like to y'all's point of, oh, does it even need a remake? I'm like, wow, this game came out like in 2008. Like that's yep. wild. It feels so modern. Totally. And then a few things happened where I'm like, yeah, this game came out in 2008. Yep. Really? Yep, definitely 2008. What kind of stuff? Um, the checkpointing. Yeah. I think the checkpointing is really inconsistent and at times bad. Now, granted, you might not notice if you're a better player, like I'm playing on medium and I'm like not the best with gunplay. So I die a little more often than maybe others might. Now, Janet, um, Janet, I don't know if you got this message. You shoot him in the limbs, you see. Yeah, I did see that Cut on the wall the limbs. a couple times and they did call <laughs> me up to say that. Um, I also think some of the tutorialization on what you can do is a little too hands-off for my taste mm. um and then the last thing that i really that really irks me in this game is um flying you're just swimming in space and it sucks like whenever i'm oh, flying boy. and doing something that yeah. boss battle we have to be levitating in the air and there's three phases and it restart like i hate that i well, really do you, like that do you want some interesting news uh that is not in the 2008 game that's, really? That's, that's a total new addition. There was not zero-G flight in the original. Well, but there was, like, the weird launch yourself from one spot to the other. Like, you were still floating yeah, on zero-G. Yeah, but that wasn't... You weren't flying. Right, like, you never, right. you never had mid-air maneuverability. Right, right. And it was it was pretty janky in the first one just to go from, like, uh, this spot to this spot. It's like, no, right. no, 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 no. It just never really felt great compared to, I think, But it was, I game. will say, it feels exactly the same as Dead Space 2, right. where they added the zero-G flying. Yeah, yeah. So I can't believe you're going through this whole thing again, Jacob. I'm very impressed. Like, I, I played the first oh. hour and a half or so, and I was like, this is great, but I feel like I just played this, and I'm glad this exists, but I don't know if I need to scare myself here is, for this I mean, again. here is what's cool. It's like, one, I love Dead Space so much. Like, I've probably played that first game five or six wow. times. So, like, really a, a, a fave for me. And it's like, at the beginning, I was like, I know these rooms, I know where things are going to pop out, this is it. And like the further I get into it, the more I feel like I am not playing the same game really? in a really interesting way. Where like they keep changing, you know, on the surface, little things about the level design or or the story or like, you know, where you're getting weapons or whatever in a way that like now that I am six hours in or whatever, it feels way more different than like it did in that first hour. That's an interesting strategy, I think, just to like leave a very positive early impression of people be like, well, this is Dead Space. Yes, there's changes, which we'll talk about. But then as it goes on, the people who really want to commit, they'll just maybe appreciate that more and more. Like I know one of the takeaways is what like 
they made the environments more dynamic. So if you've cleared out a room, you never really know for sure if you've cleared it out compared to the original. So you're going to be a little more on edge at all times. Well, they they did that, but they also made the, you know, and it's like it's these little things that kind of build on each other where they made the whole station you know, continuous. And so right. you can go through the whole thing without hitting a loading screen and you can actually go from place to place without even using the tram, which was like in the first one, it was like level one done. Step on the tram, go to level two, yep. start level two. And this it's like you're the tram is still there as like a fast travel system, but it's not the level divider that it once was. That's and so, so it's also asking you to to backtrack more and so then when they refill it with new enemies like in the first game it didn't matter if they refilled it with new enemies or not because you were never really backtracking in yeah. a meaningful way and now you're like looping through these environments over and over again uh and so yeah it's like all these these things that are not when you say it it's like it doesn't sound that big but like the the economy of this game is so tight, you know, the survival horror thing of like every piece of ammo counts, every like place you pick up a power node counts that when you change these little things like it has this snowballing effect. Right, right. Uh, it seems like the biggest takeaway, the biggest change is Isaac is talking this time around. And we're talking forespoken level dialogue. No, um, I in the beginning. I don't know. I, I'm not against it. I don't want to be uptight about it. There are a lot of changes. I think it's a smart move bringing in the original actor from two and three and whatnot. At least from the early hours, I felt like, is it really adding anything? Like, it's literally like it opens with Isaac Clark, like looking at the video file of his missing girlfriend, Nicole, and then you just have him talk about, boy, I really miss Nicole. I'm like, I, I kind of got that. <laughs> I don't know if he needed to actually verbalize that. It's adding in the sense that when people are talking to him, he's actually responding and it doesn't feel super awkward, silent sure. protagonist kind of thing. Right. Like and this, that's yeah. you, like if you if you played this, if you just played this one, you would never get the sense of like, who, who is this dude and why isn't, you know, why is he such a blank slate, I guess? Or, or maybe you yeah, do feel and, that way, Janet. No, One I mean, I, I wasn't surprised that he was talking, you know, like, I didn't, right. again, I don't know anything about the original other than the fact that a lot of people love it. Um, so playing this, I wasn't taken aback by him talking at all. It felt very, like, it almost feels weird that like, oh, he didn't talk before. Again, that's not uncommon, especially in that era. But mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, this would just be like, I, I was gonna say Dead Space, but obviously, <laughs> you know, that's the name of the game. But yeah, it'd be weird if he was just sitting there. Yeah. And one of the one of the complaints about the original story, and I made the joke about like something on the ship breaking, but like the whole structure of that game was something on the ship breaks. Someone gets on the radio and says, Isaac, go fix this. And mm -hmm. Isaac doesn't say anything and does it. Right. And so now it feels way less checklisty because Isaac is like, I know what I need to do here. Like, I'm going to go and get these parts and make a bomb. And the other people are like, okay, if you're sure that'll work. And so right. it's like, you're doing the same things, but you don't feel like you're just being ordered around, which yeah. I do think is an improvement. And they, they've they added little stuff. Like, I just got to a, a place where they were talking about unitology, which is like this religion wrapped up in the game. And Isaac said, oh yeah, my mom was like, really into it and it's really? like that's new that's that's a new really interesting detail and it's like a sentence but like that affects the story of the game you know and that's that's a really cool change yeah that's bizarre i wonder if that's any in any like expanded universe stuff 
like yeah, the movie maybe. or I mean, know, comics or something. The, there's quite a few like notes and stuff in the game talking about his mom hmm. being in it, and and you you can you can find uh, Nicole's office and go through her stuff. She she has a conversation with another patient where she kind of alludes to uh, Isaac's mom being in it and things. So and she's that really was the star all stuff of the that, remake. That that was all stuff I couldn't remember. From the first game or, or, you know, so I didn't know what was new or not. It was new to me. Because, yeah. You know, it's, it's new. It's, yeah. um, I mean, like Nicole as a character, it just is so much more fleshed out in this. Like, like Nicole in the first game was Isaac's girlfriend. And then, you know, some stuff happens with her. But this, it's like Princess Peach. All, yeah. all of the whole like hologram stuff where you're seeing scenes acted out. That's new. Those those things are not in the first game at all. And so they're really like they have amped up their, you know, tools for storytelling. Yeah. And go back to your point about, you know, him talking about I'm going to go make this bomb and said how that changes the tone. I do think like one of the things that adds having him talk is he does feel like more of a member of the team. Yeah. It feels more like, OK. Yeah. He's working with these people and it changes, yeah, his power in this story in a larger way. And it's funny, just there's little moments too. Like I was streaming it, so naturally I was more verbose than normal. But um, I was streaming the beginning and, you know, the classic sequence with he's running for the elevator and then the Narcomorph like grabs the elevator and tries to climb in there. Like I think while streaming it, I said, Jesus. And then a half second later, they have Isaac Clark go, Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's, I guess that's a reason that should exist. He's saying what I'm thinking. Also funny to think of Christianity also existing in that world. Right. And then unitology. <laughs> like whenever, whenever there's someone who says Jesus in a piece of media, I'm like, okay, Christianity exists. Yeah, it's the classic Star Wars, then I'll see you in hell. It's like, wait, what was Han right. Solo talking about? You know? Also, it's just funny that now that Isaac talks, they have another avenue to remind you in the beginning that you need to cut off their limbs instead of shoot them in the head. Because I think standard-wise, I think it's like three or four reminders in the beginning like okay we focus tested this to death people aren't getting it how many times can be true of the head with it and now that he talks he even was like that's right shoot them in the limbs that might be the secret it's just so silly over and over again uh is it scary janet i know you're not into big scary things too often but is it working for you yeah it's it's scary but it's fun scary i don't think it's like nearly as scary as like you know to me the scariest thing i've played is resident evil 7 like this is Ooh. not nearly that scary i think yeah. it's pretty I don't want to say tame because it's it's enjoyable and I do get scared at like placements and things surprise me like the little jump scares they have. But it's not I don't find it like as a someone who doesn't play a lot of horror like, oh, this game's way too scary for anyone to play. Like, I think it's very comfortably scary. Um, again, it kind of like that RE2 thing where it's like, all right, sure. Like there's scarce stuff happening, but you're also as you get to know how to like move in the world, you learn how to prepare and you're kind of like ready for whatever. Um yeah, like yeah, I thought I think, it was pretty manageable. Yeah, I think it's I one think of those things of like, as you play it, it's like every time you're pressing a button or fighting something, just remember, they probably put a Necromorph right behind you. Like at all times, just <laughs> assume there's one right behind like, you. And that was like my first like two hours of the game. I'm like, okay, they're always going to do that. And <laughs> yeah. I do think mm -hmm. as they move through the game, they find ways to keep things fresh. But I do think there are times where I feel like their surprises wear a little bit thin. Um, where they are repeating things a little bit over and over again. Again, still a fun time. Like my heights of this game are just when I'm going room to room, I'm looting it, I'm picking up. Uh, I love carrying like uh, fans or poles with me everywhere. Like I spend most of the game just carrying one fan, like just 
just for just because just I need I need a little bit of edge and here. You when you don't have skill, you have to use yeah. cheese. Um, I will say I was surprised by how much uh, ammo is in this game. Like when I think mm. survivor horror, I always assume it's going to be like I can barely shoot. I literally am like unloading clips and clips into these people like like and I just get on get it all back. I almost never huh. end up out of ammo completely. I, I do think I'm I mean, I've played this game a ton. I do think that's a reason to to pump the difficulty up is like they give you so much ammo on you know, on the normal difficulty or whatever. But I do think, you know, it's like an important distinction from RE2 is like the combat in this game is really fun in a way that it's like I, I respect RE2, but it's like you're shooting slow moving zombies. It's not like it's stiff. Yahoo. Yeah. yeah. And this is like, you know, and especially their their new gore tech where you can like see how close you are to like shooting one of the limbs off. It's just like it's, you know, after Resident Evil 4, probably like the best feeling survival horror combat. It's just like you have so many options at all times. And like yeah. the thing about using your telekinesis to like I take propane tanks into elevators with me. So I'll yep. have it on another <laughs> floor so then I can like throw it at a guy. It's so good. It, God, I know we just went out too long ago with the deepest dive, but I still am just delighted by that R3 navigation thing. As someone who's very bad oh, yeah. at navigating spaces in games, just to be able to slam that foot down and have that beacon that go out. Like that should, yep. that, in 2008, that should just become the default in all games, no matter what it is. Red Dead Redemption should have had that. Just John can just slam his foot down and have little bloop, just a little line in the ground tell you exactly where to go. It's just, it is so satisfying whenever you're turned around. It's so much better than... I don't know, the Bioshock Infinite bonk bonk arrow or some like clumsier way of doing it. But that's kind of the magic of Dead Space is like having everything baked into the world, like the health and the ammo. Like you can't really repeat a lot of these super good ideas unless you're Callisto Protocol and you have what? The horizontal health bar instead of the vertical one on the player character. Callisto's uh, such a it's such a good comparison because it's like I think Callisto is actually technically a better looking game you Ooh, know like i kind of disagree with it's like the faces in callisto are like the best faces i've mm -hmm. ever seen in a game but like it doesn't matter because that game is so boring looking that like mm. it, you know it's like it is so impressive technically and then they have nothing interesting to show you and yeah. and dead space is just so like beautifully constructed yeah i i, I think that when i saw kyle's uh tweet i i saw the same thing and i thought it's it's really it's not that it's the most visually impressive i think it's it's mostly the atmosphere like this game is just dripping in atmosphere and the the way they kind of design the the like the entire ship and the architecture and there are just sometimes where you'll you'll walk into a room there there's an early room early on that reminded me why i enjoyed so much of dead space even though i only played a third of it when it originally came out but but you you walk in and it's just like this giant chassis for like a tram car or something that's suspended on chains and it's just kind of slowly rocking back and forth and there's volumetric fog coming through it and it's 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 like as far as you know visual set pieces for a game it's it's basically nothing but it sets a tone so well that like really harkens back to great you know, sci-fi movies and those kind of mm. those kind of feelings that it's just it creates it creates an entire world around your character and around the experience of playing it. And I think that's why it still stands out visually for me. Yeah. And I know we talked about it during the deepest dive, but I'm just fascinated by that idea of now this remake feels like a miracle that it exists. 
And it's like, oh, finally, they're remaking games from the glory years of gaming, 2008, when all these original ideas were coming out, like Dead Space. They don't make new ideas like this anymore. Um, but then I remember, like, I, don't, I went back and looked at, like, reviews and some previews and stuff for Dead Space back in the day. And there were a shocking number of people that were like, okay, it's Resident Evil 4 in space, very creative EA. <laughs> oh, have you ever seen the movie Alien? Oh, I bet they have. Blah, blah, blah. And now it's like in retrospect, like, oh no, we should have appreciated how original and cool this game was. Which is what a miracle that it existed in the first place. And now we get to relive it again with the remake. I always, uh, I think about, um, this This was in my heyday. Look, Game Informer is still a great magazine, but like when I was a kid, I would get it and like pour over every issue. Yeah. And the review of it, I think Reiner wrote it, was like... I think this ship would actually function. Like if you like, if you like put it in space, I think it would work. And it's like Uh when you're playing it, it does kind of feel like that, that it's like, it's like it has the appropriate number of rooms for engines to be on like a ship this big, you know? Yeah, and it's unbelievable that actually NASA poached Reiner. That was the only thing they could get him to leave Game Informer (laughs) is now he's designing those ships in space. Uh, Yeah, this is is a huge win. And I'm happy that uh, it seems like fans are pleased and i'm happy that it's kind of a win for ea's strategy of having that open development of showing this game so early having those streams i know they got plenty of crap along the way but hopefully with them sticking the landing here especially in comparison to callisto protocol that that ea has been positively reinforced for being as transparent and as community focused as they were during the development of this remake i think it's really cool um and now everyone's screaming give us dead space 2 but ea motive at least they're now working on that iron man game um, and so I don't know if they'd want to split the team. I'd imagine Marvel would take precedent over another remake. And so it's kind of like, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, you can get another well, team to do Dead Space they, 2. they gave away Dead Space 2 with like pre-orders of this game, which feels like a thing that you wouldn't do if you were planning to remake it. Right. Uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe that's just getting Dead Space 2 is so good. Maybe everyone will be like... We want to play this one again. Yeah, yeah. So Janet, enjoying it, but a couple couple quirks. That's your takeaway. Yeah, I really love it. Um, I've been kind of very easily marathoning it. You know, I play yeah. a lot of games like in big chunks, but this is a game where I don't notice time passing. I'm kind of just going. Like I sit down. My boyfriend's also playing it on like the sec his like little monitor, and I'm on the big TV. Cute. And like time just really melts away playing this, mm. but. Every now and then there are those random pain points um, and I fear for what is left. Um, but the the main it, core of the game is super fun. I just don't really like a couple of the really when they deviate from what the base is, like where right. you're like running from room to room and then something's chasing you and there's like 80 enemies spawning in each room and like Isaac runs slower than anyone I've ever seen. I know he's wearing a lot of armor, but like those things, I'm like, oh my God, I hate this. I just want this to be done. And then we're back at like slowly going through the rooms and then something comes out. And it, that's where it mostly is anywhere. And that's what it really sings. Um, and also really quick, I just want to shout out the sound design in this game yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, yeah. and in general in horror, like horror leans so heavily on sound, like sound is what carries the visuals of horror. It wouldn't work without it. But there's like so many cool things, you know, I've been clipping things out like on social and the area that has sort of the, greenery like in one of those rooms there's a moment where you walk in and the water comes out and it sounds like people screaming and i'm like wow this is so good and like what a cool way to create fear without like having any enemies and then like you can even see me in the clip like i immediately look around like something Mm -hmm. has to be there and it's nothing it's just the sprinklers and i'm like oh man they did such a good job on this yeah even it's such an amazing choice to make 
the monsters sound like machines and the machines sound like monsters. It's like everything screaming sounds kind of the same, whether it's like a pneumatic tube or a necromorph. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, early on, it's a classic example, but that door that you need to slow down is and it's just it is so loud. You hate that door more than you hate, like the final boss of the game. It's like, I need to stop this. I need to stop this from screaming at me. Uh, Dead Space, everybody! Still good! Still good! Um, and this, this fool, Kyle, tweeting his hot takes about the hottest looking game under the sun. Um, when we all know the answer for the best looking game, uh, on planet Earth right now, it turns out it's Hi-Fi Rush, ladies and gentlemen. The cell-shaded new game from Tango Gameworks, they made Evil Within. They made Evil Within 2. They made Ghostwire Tokyo. And then they released Hi-Fi Rush last week. Um, okay. Jeff, I remember we did that reaction stream. And uh, I believe in a moment of weakness, I asked you, Jeff, do you think you'll ever play Hi-Fi Rush? And you're like, ah, I don't know. But did I, did I poke you enough to actually jump yes. in and try this <laughs> thing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out all it took was you, you, was you putting a parenthetical in our slack saying jeff um, please play this exclamation point uh <laughs> that was so i did that was me trying to hint because yeah i dove in and played this thing uh last week then after we recorded the podcast and it was just beautiful i'm curious if everybody else is that as well but let me monologue for a bit but it was just this beautiful situation of like i've taken a step back from twitter where i don't i don't scroll i just tweet stuff out and check my mentions rarely and that's that's about it but i'm not scrolling through that timeline so i don't know what anybody else is thinking really about this game um and we saw the presentation i thought it looked cool I, it felt like a game where it's like i feel like i've played this type of thing before it sounds like a cool idea but in practice i don't know how it's gonna go and then they just shadow drop it so going in with like zero expectations really um and then just having the sinking feeling of like wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute and it's just it was that throughout the entire game for me of just sinking more and more into like yep this is absolutely blowing me away blowing me away this is a hall of famer it's interesting that you use sinking feeling to describe uh-huh. a positive emotion <laughs> yeah sinking in my wait couch i guess is a good way of just kind of getting more and more absorbed in this world to the point you know, hey, I'm going to take a page out of Kyle's hyperbolic book now. I was really thinking about it. I think this is my favorite Xbox game now since Halo 1. I'm really trying to think of, like, if there's another Xbox I mean, game that I love more than this. I, what I, does that really say, though? I'm sure you can certainly, you know, point to their overall catalog. But uh, I loved Hi-Fi Rush. Uh, Jacob Keller, how are you sitting with this thing? red hot the hottest the hottest i i i I mean a game i i tweeted this but it's like if you told me that there was a character action rhythm game made by the guy who made evil within two i'd be like i have i have dreamed about that game (laughs) like (laughs) like not not in that i wanted it to happen but like when i was dreaming i'd be like what if (laughs) what if one day just imagine um and that's that is the thing with this game that visually i think it looks incredible and it speaks to this overall takeaway of just it is so polished it is so smooth it is so easy and it there's basically no jank in here and even like the cell shading i feel like well we like cell shading in games sometimes it looks great even the best of the best there's going to be weird clipping at times and it's like okay from this angle the character doesn't really look that great and dragon ball fighters obviously is a hall of famer but for this game just everything looks so good and it's just packs so much creativity in there i feel like i just 
every month I need to go back and just look at any scene from this game, any moment, and just remind myself about how much they're packing in there and how impressive it is that they pulled it off. And it's too easy to say like, oh, they tried to make a Spider-Verse looking game. It's like a Spider-Verse looking Devil May Cry. But I think it is so much its own unique thing. It's just taking inspiration from things like a Scott Pilgrim and, uh, you know, into the Spider-Verse in general. And a beautiful Joe. Yes. That is the weird thing, too, that I keep thinking about with this game is how bizarre it is that this is Tango that made this. And Mikami, the creator of Resident Evil, director of Resident Evil 4, um, founder of Tango, he was the executive producer. But it's weird that throughout so much of this game, it's like, this feels like a game that should have been made by Kamiya, who directed Beautiful Joe and Devil May Cry and Resident Evil 2. So it's like, those two Resident Evil paths diverged, and now I feel like, oh, one is kind of mirroring the style of the other in this point. But no, it turns out uh, John Johannes directed it and wrote it, too. And that's if I may continue to ramble, that's another thing is I was worried about the writing of this game. Like starting it, I was like, I, I don't know. It seems obnoxious. Even the first trailer, we talked about it last week about, I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. Like, is this going to be obnoxious? Genuinely by the end, like fully, fully melted down. Uh, it's you know, a story about the power of friendship in so many ways, but like, I just liked this crew so much. Genuinely tears welling in my eyes not dripping down my face janet it's it, the official verdict was welling but not dripping but it freaking got me it got me but so would you good. tell us if they did drip i would be proud of that drip i'd brag about the drip i drip i love the drip <laughs> oh my god i eat the drip uh jeff i know i'm hyperbolic but i assume you were impressed by what you played yeah it's uh like on paper this is so not my type of game just because I'm I'm not into rhythm games and I have no rhythm but right. it's it's it just works so well and and we had talked about how harmonics has tried to you know like they tried to make an actiony kind of rhythm game it's chroma they, with the shooter like city never sleeps yeah, yeah for sure yeah they 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 just kind of couldn't figure it out and tango works figured it out and it's if it, they've just done an amazing job making it more accessible for people like me who just cannot press a button on a beat to save my life. And the, the, there was there were segments uh, in the game where I, where I'd get to like it would be a different song and it would be like wow I'm just I just suck I cannot for, mm. for whatever reason I am on the like the half beats when I should be hitting it. But you know you have that bar that you can pull up that shows you exactly when yeah. every single beat is and w- and when you do. When it does line up and when you start to get it, it, it's it's also especially it's so smart that your light attack is like a essentially like a quarter, a quarter note and your and the heavy attack is a half note. Right. And so you're, you're just kind of like tapping between the two, but changing up, you know, the tempo of it to to fit. And and when when you start to when you start to get that in a in a match against a bunch of different guys and you're hopping between them almost you know like arkham combat but it's all on the beat and it's all building on it and it's and like you're getting more powerful and your attacks are doing more damage and more you know you know health vials are flipping out of them like it feels so good yeah that that is the thing too that i think is so smart of like normally these types of games you know even maybe like a a metal hell singer it feels like a lot of games have been trying to capitalize on this i don't know if it's like harmonics is now absorbed in the world of Fortnite, and everybody's trying to fill that vacuum or what's going on in the industry. But um, but that is such a smart touch of no matter when you hit the attack button, Chai, the main character, will always attack on the beat. So you know when the beat is. So if you're just like, okay, 
It's not a matter of attacking off the beat. The attack will always be on the beat, and then that'll help you sync up and hopefully stay in a little bit more of a flow. But I'm with you, Jeff, on where I'm very much a, a rhythm uh, gamer. I, I, I love it. I mean, parts of this game remind me of like a rhythm heaven and just having the world react to the music. And it's just overall this celebration of music and a reminder that, hey, music is fun, everybody, which is something that even like melatonin, a game that was going for rhythm heaven recently. I know we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but it's an indie game that's going for that. But that game didn't have that vibe that even Rhythm Heaven does of music is fun. And I feel like so much of this game is just a celebration of that. But so I'm very much happy with the music thing. That's where I'm coming from. But I am not a stylish action game guy at all. Like if you ask me about my idea of a hellish game, it's that type of game where you run to a room, invisible walls go up, and then you have to remember some combos. And I know, Jacob, that's when you- My favorite genre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I cannot stand that thing, but it's like, okay, the rest of this game is pushing it through where I've learned to love it. Um, but I'm curious, oh, let's see. I'm so curious about a lot of things. Okay, uh, Jacob, first, I'm curious from you, what you think about the action? Since like you're Mr. Stylish Action, I'm wondering, from an expert in this category, what do you think about a game that's so much more approachable like this? It, it, it is so it is so smart in so many ways. But one of the ways that it's smart is revealing that these games have always been rhythm games and they right. just haven't been giving you music like the kind of the the genius of having the like you know the your light attacks be quarter notes and your heavy attacks be half notes and then there are there are like delay attacks where you hit your light attack and then you wait a beat and then you go in it's like those exist in devil may cry and in bayonetta and stuff like those kind of attacks do but because there's no rhythm it's it's so much harder to line them up and the same thing with the counters in this game where it's like not only do your attacks only like always happen on the beat but every enemy attack is also always on the beat and right. so like you know bayonetta has a very clear uh sound and visual indicator of when an attack is about to come in but it is not nearly as good as this where the you know, it's like the visual indicator shows up two beats before the attack lands every single time. And right. so it's like so easy to get perfect parries because the game is just telling you like this is when it's going to happen. I I think it's it is it is clearly made by someone who loves those games so much and the things that it allows you to do where you're like you're pulling in your companions for the final hit of big combos yeah. and then you get this like unbelievable animation and then they're like launched and then you can go up and do it again like i you know bayonetta 3 came out last year if you told me that there was like a game that would outdo bayonetta 3 on virtually every level oh no that would just be shadow dropped like i i would not have believed you but this is it's just doing it yeah janet what do you think about the reaction to this game so far and maybe your experience with it i mean you're more you're more clued in i think to, to twitter is everybody just surprised gaga or what's the temperature out there yeah, everyone loves it. Um, like people are like, this is going to be this might be my game of the year. This is like top 10, yeah, yep. et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm not quite at that level in love with it, um, but it's a great game. Like, I think they totally nail what they set out to do. And I like just so much what they do with the tutorialization and teaching you like how to be how to play the game, how to exist in the world. Um, it it's probably like one of the only games where I enjoy like talking to the tutorial robot because they also make that robot like super charming, weird, like little fridge person. They right. have like these weird quirky lines and then they're like, oh, hit me again. I love when you punch me in the face. And I'm like, <laughs> this is such a funky 
fun personality to have in there. And I think that speaks to the strength of that cast. Again, I'm, I'm only one kind of full level in like the right. level of the boss battle. Then you get your little like kind of hub area. Um, and then to your point with the tone, like I think the tone works because you also have like characters because the name, the main character was named Chai, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone's based on foods. And then there's that one person that you, the first person you meet is named who? Well, 808 technically. Yeah. The 808's creator. Yeah. Oh my God. Ale? Uh, no, no, no. The lady, the, I want to say Pennywise, not Pennywise. What is it? <laughs> Help me out. Pe I forgot. Peppermint. But when you meet Peppermint. When, Peppermint Jesus yes. Christ. Thank you. Um, because like, you know, you have Chai who's like very, you know, doofy, goofy. And then Peppermint's yeah. like, yo, get it together. And it like kind of helps balance it out. Cause like he, Chai's yes. supposed to be dumb. Like yes. there's no thoughts behind his eyes, just music, you know? And then she's Himbo like, all right. King. Yeah. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred. But it works because you have characters like Peppermint kind of grounding that and being able to be like, okay, this guy's kind of an idiot, but he's getting it together. Um, but yeah, I also like uh, as well, I streamed it and they have um, their streamer mode. They actually yeah. made original songs for that. And the songs are meant to sound like what the licensed song is. So like the first thing's Lonely Boy by the Black Keys, which I was very sad not to get to hear myself because I love that song. I love the Black Keys. Um, but the song they put in lieu of it sounds very similar. Um, yeah, it's it's super fun, super stylish. Yeah. I mean, for what's worth, it probably will be. There's a very good chance it'll be in my top 10 of the year oh, just because... I will, you know, it's a great, it's a great game. Yeah, I will personally drive to your house and move it so that it's in your top ten. If it's not, uh, Janet, whatever. But how good would the year be if it wasn't? Because that's the thing too. Yeah. Like it's, it's of that caliber where you, it is in that conversation of great game from this year, super memorable. Um, I think the only. I don't want to say annoying, but kind of thing that's come out of this is everyone being like, we should shadow drop every game and just not market. I'm like, mm. no, well, that's not how the world works. We got, we got a good community it's question It's okay for to that be excited. Later. And like, who doesn't love a shadow drop, right? Nintendo Directs famously do shadow drops all the time. Um, it's fun. Yeah. But like, that's not, that cannot be everything. Like, let's not pretend like that's feasible. I do. I, it feels like everyone was kind of caught off guard by just how good this thing is. I think even yeah. Bethesda, I mean, even, even, so we had an interview with the game's writer and director. It's up on Mimix's YouTube channel and also available in our bonus podcast feed. Uh, I thought it was a good chat if you want to know how this game came to be and whatnot. Um, but it, it feels like no, I don't know. So releasing this game at $30, the surprise shadow drop from Xbox, like, I feel like if Xbox knew how much praise this game was going to get, they might, I don't know. I don't know how they would have pushed it harder. Well, it's like I feel like I feel like the shadow drop works so well for people not getting to say that the game looks annoying before mm, playing mm -hmm, it and finding mm -hmm. out that it's fun. Yeah. You know, that's the advantage. It's like the trailer for this game is not that good because yes. the thing that feels good is playing it. Um, but it does seem like they might have, I don't know, sent it out to reviewers uh, early if they knew that it was going to be, you know, great. Uh, wow. Because it's weird that every, we it's like everyone has to like wait five days to have like reviews that are like nine out of ten come out. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it would have leaked at that point. So I think they wanted yeah, to it would have leaked. And I think there's I think some like two, groundswell of enthusiasm of people getting to discover for themselves this game that is so much better than it has any right to be. I think too what works for it is the game pass of it all because yeah. I'm you yep. know I was kind of thinking like why have I not seen this happen before when we've had shadow drops before is because usually for a shadow drop you still have to buy the game and people like don't want to do that 
until they know more about it or if they think they, you know it removes the question of it like the is it worth this should i whatever um not to mention like in a weird way because it's like high profile enough to be in this like direct and to be in this like showcase for xbox everyone on the editorial side is going to send at least one person a hey like we need to get someone working on this review because it's at least like a high enough profile game to be highlighted yeah. so then you have the perfect storm of everyone from like a professional content team to just a casual gamer talking about it playing it like and then everyone's saying it's good so then it just continues to build even more where they're like oh i hear it's really good let me download it now and they don't have to think about do i need to should i get this should i not totally. like this came out so fast i didn't even notice it wasn't on last gen's consoles like it's a series right. xs exclusive and yeah. like there was no time for that conversation either you know it just kind of went and it it was the perfect storm of everything yeah. i do think this speaks to them probably having more shadow drops in the future only in the sense that it can work and again you have that game pass model where it's not like you have to sell it in that sense anyway mm -hmm. um but again cannot be every game cannot be shadow dropped and that industry would be hell on earth so yeah and so we in that interview we talked about like the origins of that and how it was like it was bethesda's marketing team that wanted to do the shadow drop like it wasn't tango's idea it wasn't xbox's idea it was like bethesda's and mm -hmm. like okay let's just get it out there um and i do wonder I mean, if Microsoft knew how well this game would have been received, if they would have shadow dropped it. I mean, I think in their mind, and this is speculating a corporation, so it's obviously very scientific stuff. But in their mind, they're probably like, oh, this is a cute little game. It'll be a nice surprise. Let's drop it. But like if they would have known that this is like already game of the year contender for 2023, maybe they would have wanted to milk it a little bit more. But it's all working out so well for them. I guess no harm done. And can we, without spoiling, just, just like talk about uh, some things that happen in the game <laughs> yeah without spoiling I, sure. I don't know i just like like there is a prodigy needle drop yeah. in this game that got me so unbelievably excited i mean it's like there are a number of good needle drops but mm -hmm. like that song specifically was like one that like my friends and i just like listen to constantly and yeah. so having that come in and it's like the bosses in the back half of the game yes are so just visually so spectacular and then like the gameplay things that they do with them it's mm -hmm. like this game has like mini games that are fun and not annoying is <laughs> in just such an impressive way totally i'm with you where it's like okay you know this game's gonna build where's it gonna build to and yeah there's a boss that's well, they're all involved with money in some way because you're taking down the evil vandal. Like, like, like the, 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 the vault one. Yes, that was the one where I was like, this is exactly where I was hoping this game would go and just get bigger and bigger and sillier and sillier. And yeah, the music, I mean, there's a low roar song later on. That's like that entire section low floored me. Um, also, shout out to a uh, friend of the show, Sarah Almale. That was on the Min-Max show and on the deepest dive for Mass Effect that she plays Corsica. In this yeah, game. she's great. Yeah, and I was looking Doing around a Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah, I then like I was looking at Steam reviews earlier today. Like, am I not? How's everybody else feeling about this game? And there was even in the Steam reviews, there was a creepy amount of love for the Corsica characters. Like, okay, <laughs> the ball is rolling downhill now on the internet uh, for these characters. <laughs> oh, no. You, you can't stop it. Um, yes, uh, it it gets bigger and wackier as you go. And yeah, I think it's just it is so fun and silly and funny. It doesn't take itself seriously. There's there's a couple, I mean, it's all very self-aware, but, and I want to say in an obnoxious way, but in a fun, obnoxious way, you know, where they are, they are commenting on the limits of production within this game itself in some really clever ways, including a, 
homage that I guess I won't give away here, but when it popped up, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is such a weird deep cut that I thought I only talked about, and now it's like this big sequence in the game. It is just bananas. I like all the food names. They're that good. also feels very like it feels this game feels old school in a good way. Yes. Like in the yes. thing, the fun things you remember. Like, I mean this as a compliment, but this game feels like the best GameCube game I happen not to have played. And then I pick it For up sure. and I'm like, wow, like has have you have y'all played this? Because I, I can't believe there's more gems on this console that I like I yes. that I can remember. Yep. It it is that vibe. And I think getting that in the modern era is such a rarity um and such a fun treat. It's like we all get to have that experience. Usually when you have that experience, that's very alone right it's like oh well this system came out a million years ago no one no one cares but us all having that experience at one time i think is what has propelled this to that upper echelon of conversation where everyone is so hot on it yeah um yeah like, i do think it's one of the rare games where the bosses are fun too like i usually one reason i hate boss battles in games is because they feel like the standardized tests of video games it's like okay everything you learned but in a really like weird package that's not interesting at all um but here it's it's fun because it's still combat and like getting to yeah. have the tells via the music so you can like never have I so easily glided past projectiles because I know exactly what's going on. Um, yeah, lots of good things in here. Yeah, a lot of people making yeah Dreamcast comparisons, GameCube comparisons. That's the thing. It's like I, it's weird to be nostalgic for level design, but so much of this game is like, yeah, I just I love some good, simple level design in games like this. The secrets are attainable. You feel clever enough for being like, okay, I know you're hiding something over here, but it's not going to break your brain. I think how forgiving this game is is also a huge thing of just if you're dying on a boss, they will pump you full of health. You, you'll be just fine by and large, right? It seems dynamic in that sense. Of oh, very whenever much so. I, Whenever I get real low on health, you, you hit a guy like two times and they're just splurging health vials splurging. at you. Yeah, they, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, all this being said, like they're, uh, the platforming, there's not an obsessive amount of it, but something about like the jump, like I think you fall faster than you feel like you should with the platforming. So there are times where it's like, okay, this isn't great, but it's not, it's not bringing me down in a big way. And then if you fail too many times, and I might have, uh, it'll actually just jump you ahead. It'll be like, okay, forget that oh, section. Does it really? It, yeah, it really does. That's funny. I mean, and it's just like there's so many, you know, the fact that they give you like a, a, a grapple arm immediately right. in this, which is both fun for platforming and makes combat immediately so much better is, is so it's just like it really feels like it is everything that you remember being fun about those old games yeah. but with none of the returning to jack 2 and finding that it's suddenly like a nightmare game <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i i cannot recommend it enough i think it's fantastic hi-fi rush everything's great the name i wish the name was better uh, yeah, yeah the name's a solid i six can't remember 10. it at all it's like <laughs> it's an awful name for and, a really great game and i've had to type it out so many times during that interview and sharing a bunch of tweets about it and stuff and i i write high fish every time and then i have to go and in like, and correct it's funny because it. it does make except for the rush part doesn't really make sense i guess because of the rhythm i don't know like it does make sense like it wasn't like it's not that bad but it's not memorable at all. It's not. And it comes out the mouth weird. Like it's no. like, hi-fi. Oh God, what's the what's the next part? It's like, but you know, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. Maybe that's just because we haven't had a year of marketing to really drive it into our skulls. You know, no, it's because like, there have been games where like they talk to me about it all the time. Like Outer Worlds, Outer Wilds. Which sure, one has the sure. the? Like anyone can get the smoke. But yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll try to remember it <laughs> yeah, this time. Yeah, we'll it'll see. It'll be different. Well, maybe once it's locked in as a Hall of Fame game, it'll just be, of course, Hi-Fi Rush. What else could it be called? Um, all right. Hi-Fi Rush. There we go. Um, 
Now, very natural transition to a game called Season, A Letter to the Future. A game about... Everyone take a long exhale <sighs> as we move into Season. Get rid of all your hopes of fun, everybody. We're talking about Season, <laughs> That's A Letter so to mean. the Future. Did you play it, Ben? I did start it. Okay, <laughs> you did start it or didn't start it? I, I did start it, yeah, okay. yeah. And it's like, okay, you start out and um, you're making a pendant by putting objects that represent different senses into a pot and vanishing them. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like, what is this game exactly? I assumed it was like on earth, a little cutesy artsy thing. And then pretty early on, it's like, oh, this world is much different than I expected. It's a little more fantastical, Jacob. Would you call it fantastical? Uh, no. Um, exactly my point. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I, I, it's a game that like, the concept of the game gets me emotional uh and so i think sure. that's a that's a very strong starting point so let's like the pitch the pitch of season is that uh you are a, a young woman and it is the end of a season which is not like fall but kind of like an era or like in game of thrones where they talked about like winter is coming you know the fact that it's like right. the world is about to change in a in a massive and unknowable way and so what you are doing throughout the game is recording elements of the end of this season to pass on to the next one uh which it's great you don't have to do a lot of work to understand uh the metaphor being made uh there of are, are you frowning <laughs> <laughs> I was it's a game about climate fun. change. Our world is ending, Ben. Oh. Everything, oh, I everything I, that is recognizable in our world now <laughs> will not be here in 30 years. I thought it was and that more, is what this game is about. Uh, I thought it was more zooming in, just talking about aging. And, and I, hey, you know what? I bet this game's working with multiple different themes at the same time uh, and recording um, what yeah, you got. So as, as someone who experiences uh, climate despair pretty frequently, uh, the, the concept of this game hits of 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 recording the beautiful things before they're gone. Yeah. And so I just went around and recorded some audio of things. And it's kind of like in Miles Morales. Remember those side quests where you ran around and recorded the audio of different things? Yeah, it's like Miles Morales. It's a lot it's like, like Miles Morales. <laughs> but imagine instead of swinging around, you're just uh, a lady on a little beautiful bike every once in a while. Um, it, what what else are you doing in the gameplay then? Is it just running around and recording different things with different interactions or what is it actually yeah i mean as? it's i i would say it's a a scrapbooking game because okay. uh you have you know you have your recorder and you have your camera and then you have this scrapbook and so for each location that you're in you can take pictures you can record sounds and then those turn into illustrations and pictures that you can put in in a scrapbook right. and kind of create you know it it's a game that requires you kind of investing in it because the systems are not giving you like XP or whatever, but it's like, you know, you are trying to capture the moment of a place with your pictures and your recordings that you're like writing about it. Right, right. I actually made a, a film in college that had this premise of going around and capturing the world's sounds because they all disappeared. It was really... I'll send it to you, Jacob. You'll love it. It's actually a metaphor about climate change, so I think you'll, you'll really be <laughs> You're very forward-thinking. I have this time. Janet, how are you interacting with Season so far? So Season is a game that I was looking forward to since it first got shown and announced. Yeah. I've been following this game for several years, and uh, I started playing it, and I was really hot on it. I do think the house 
part is it's a little slow because you're just walking around, you know, yeah. and it's like pretty small, but it's just trying to, I, I like the poeticness of the, the, the dialogue, the vibe of that game is amazing. And we could only in that first area. It's kind of like your hometown area and you're like, you can record whatever, like the fountain and they'll give you like different blurbs about it. If you take a picture from a certain angle, it might tell you a little like, you know, your character might reflect on, oh, the party we had last night and, you know, I'm not supposed to read these. Like, do you take it? Do you not? Like this little, yeah. the wishes that were made. It's very quaint and tranquil in that way. And I love journaling. Like I love, I've had my bullet journal phase. I still journal with a planner and I have put stickers and sketches. So like wow. that part of the game was very me. Like, again, it's about what you want to invest in the game. So like mm -hmm. to progress, you can fill, you know, I could take like three crummy pictures and just slap them into the book. And then they'll be like, you're done with this page. But I really wanted mine to look cool. So I spent a lot of time like, reorganizing it and resizing it literally like i spent like 30 minutes to an hour just doing like one spread and i was like oh yeah like i'm eating this up this is totally my thing then i got a little bit further i got the bike i started and then i yeah i put it put it down then i came back i'm like okay i want to finish this game let me try to finish it for like the embargo and then i realized honestly i just i just find it a little too boring yeah. like i do love that journaling loop like i love journaling but the process of getting the stuff there's also a few things about the process of journaling that i don't like um they once you put like four or five things down they'll give you extra like decorations for your journal but they do the slow pan already and i'm like i'm not done i was waiting to get those extra decorations so it's like slow panning over like my crummy work and then like i'd have to go on my own and do it and like yeah i think just that flow combined with the bike not having like the smoothest controls of getting around i just was like you know it's a game about lingering but i don't i don't feel like lingering in this world so That's i'm just a gonna huge thing. i don't think yeah. i'm gonna finish it and that and i hate to say that because it was like so up my alley and it seems like i know people that love this game so i think if the premise sounds interesting to you this is one that i think you should check it out because i have seen people be like oh yeah like it's great like i just go around and the world's cool and for me i fall on the side of i find it a little bit dull um yeah. it puts me to sleep but not in a good way like power wash simulator does so like <laughs> i just didn't way. end up sticking with it um yeah. Yeah, that's me I in season it's it's a it's a little one note and i really yes. don't say that as a negative necessarily but mm -hmm. it is just like it is you are doing the same thing and so really what i think is i think this is going to be a game that i play pretty slowly like yeah. i think i'm gonna play like 30 minutes a day maybe it's like i'm not i'm not marathoning i'm not trying to get through it because if you play it for long stretches you do feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over right but i mean what we should say is like it is an unbelievably beautiful game yeah it looks like nice. like just the the <clears throat> art style the lighting the you know the things that they're doing with with kind of cell shading again um like it is it is a really really beautiful game and there are moments of like turning the corner into a new part of the world and like seeing a vista and just being like oh my god and then i like park my bike there and i take a picture of the bike and the vista and i like get the focus lined up just right and so it's like yeah. i it's you know the loop is is very you know like i think it's i think it's very compelling and i really like it conceptually but it is just not a game that lends itself to being played in long stretches because it's so kind of samey it's yeah. also a very like self-directed game like i think you have to you know before going into this or even while being there reflect on your self as a player and see like what are you drawn to like i think if what we're describing is compelling to you 
that is what you're going to get and you might get a lot out of it. Um, but that's kind of in in what it's providing. There are limitations. So it's like if you wanted something else or you wanted to have like a level of scale to it, it doesn't have that. It really sure. is just about what's going to be around that corner. What animal do you want to like get off your bike and like pet a little bit or like I do think they do some really <laughs> good stuff with the camera, though, in terms of um, the amount of controls and detail you can get with like the focus and the blur and the filters and the moods and all of that. Um, but I think if it was a little shorter, I might have stuck with it. It's pretty short, though. It's like six to eight hours or something, depending. Okay. But I think because my reasoning for not finishing it is in part because it's not shorter. And that's not because it's not a short game, but it's because the fun I get out of it requires so much time that this would be like for me to play this and enjoy it the way that I get joy from it. I would have to play for a really, really long time. And I just don't want to invest that time. Yeah, that's fair. Season, a letter of the future, uh, PlayStation and PC at this point. And it, it sh we should note, uh, Scavenger Studios, who's who released this, uh, their last game was Darwin Project, which is kind of that yes. Battle Royale Hunger Games thing, which I, I liked, actually. I liked a fair bit. It was silly. Like, one player could be, like, the announcer, I remember, and you could, like, control things in the world and whatnot in this, in this dome. But uh, the story broke, was it last year? about sexual harassment within the studio and the co-founders um, treating these staff like crap, I think would be a, a way to sum it up. Um, and there's been a lot of back and forth. Uh, there was like a, they brought in like a third party team to assess the situation um, and the co-founders stepped down for a bit and then it seems like one of them was reinstated. I was digging through the credits for season. It seems like one of them's still in there. Um, so it seems like, you know, the third party assessment determined, oh, no sexual harassment took place. Um, so, it, you know, do your research if, you, if you're worried about the health of the studio that, that pumped out Season Alert of the Future, but it's a, there's a long backstory there. Um, all right, this next game, this is, this is good, simple fun. Jeff, I'm take it away. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's called the, the Crew, the crew okay. Motor Fest, oh, everybody. <laughs> Just say something, I don't know, whatever. Um, yeah, the Crew Motor Fest, uh, the team behind Crew 2, released an announcement in the trailer for their next Crew game. Um, Jeff, I'm, can I tell you the hook for this one? Absolutely. Well, the Crew 1, it's like, hey, what if we had all of the United States, and you can drive through, and you can go anywhere. If you go to Minnesota, there's like a barn with a cow by it, and that was your experience in Minnesota. That you keep going. Yeah, they, one got, to one. they got our cow right. Um, but then uh, Crew 2 came out and they said, what if we let you race a bunch of different vehicles across the United States? Wouldn't that be wild? Um, and people said, sure. And then they supported Crew 2 for a long time, and I assume some people were happy with it. Um, but this one, like, what if? Because we're all about like encapsulating like these huge areas and recreating these huge environments and stuff like that. What if we took all that design power and focused it down to a very small island. So what has me excited about the Crew Motor Fest, and I understand this is very selfish, but the cool thing is it's all taking place on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. Uh, so I love the idea of like, you know, all of that talent just focusing on recreating just one island that really isn't that big, but taking like a Forza Horizon-like sensibility on a landmass that small, but with that much variety. Um, and again, selfishly, like I just spent eight days on Oahu and explored the hell out of it like drove all around it and so i'm very excited to have this game coming at some point in 2023 just to be like oh god look how they did this and then the north shore is like this uh, 
I'm getting geeky just thinking about that. Uh, Janet, did the announcement do anything for you for Motorfest? I don't think so. I just feel like I'm. I only have so much, so many car games I'm willing to invest yep. time yeah, in. I don't fair. think the crew would be one of them, but I'm willing to be proven wrong. Like I think if people play this and are really hot on it, I might get it a ch- give it a chance because it could end up being in my rotation. But um, yeah, I just never really played the crew. It just was not one of the the franchises that I dug into. Yeah, that's very fair. But yeah, I'm very curious about this, and they haven't they haven't given a date outside of just 2023. But I'm I'm very excited and very primed for the Crew Motorfest whenever it does come out. I feel um, like there's a there's a think piece to be written or or just something about like really attempts to have really, really, really massive uh, driving maps, because the one that I always think about is, uh, oh, God, what is that game called? Like, it's one word. Is it like it's not Drive Club? fuel? Is it the one the Fuel's one that was game. like like 15,000 square miles? It was like oh, like the that. biggest map ever put in a game, you know, but it's like it's all empty because it was procedurally generated and you like couldn't do that. But it's like there's that there's the crew trying to make the whole United States. There's right. just it's like a fascinating project that car games are like, here's how we'll stand out. <laughs> bigger than the continental United States. And, That's what you'll be able to race on. And for what? Like, I, is it just yeah. the bullet point of you won't believe how big this world is? I Have you ever, outside of maybe No Man's Sky, I'm trying to think of like just anecdotally, has anybody ever gotten excited about a game based on the size of the world? Has anybody like, I got to buy Ring. this. Elden Ring? Yeah, Even that's though they, they weren't like selling it though, like it's real big. But you know, people did that is I mean, that was in our like best things or whatever. Yeah, I'll say it's the only reason I remember the game Fuel is because <laughs> you know it had yeah. a You're right. big yeah. world. It worked to a degree. It, you know, we can only take well. it so far. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, I'll take it back. Um, okay. Um, hey, Jacob Geller, do you know how this whole thing operates? Um, it operates by enthusiasm for new releases in January and Patreon. That sounds great, but I'm sorry. It it uh, operates based on plugs for Jacob Geller's podcast. Oh, that's right. I forgot I slipped you a, a cool 20 <laughs> before yeah. starting this podcast. What a deal. Yeah, anybody can um, do it at any point. <laughs> here, here's the thing. I've got a new podcast. Or it's a new it's a new season of an old podcast. A letter to Blake the uh, friend of the show, a season, a letter to the future. Yes. Um, Blake Hester, very talented reporter for Game Informer, has been, been on Nimax stuff before, and mm-hmm. I uh, have have the shared fascination with the kind of, um, I don't know, Xbox 360 era of, like, really dark, nihilistic, violent video games. So, like, you know, great example of this, Max Payne 3. Another right. great example of this is, like, Kane and Lynch or whatever. Um, and so we have a podcast about it called Something Rotten. And this season, we've rebooted it. We're doing Manhunt, baby. The the, the, the origin of them all. Maybe, you know, one of the earliest examples of these just kind of like gross, dark, incredibly controversial in this case, uh, series. Uh, and so we've got we've got a whole new podcast series about it. And I would really like if you listened. Yeah. Um, when you say reboot the podcast, so it's been dormant for a while. Do you want to keep it rolling or is it going to be like we're, coming back? We're, every we're once keeping in a while? it rolling. We've okay. already got the next the next couple series planned. But it's you know, it's generally based around these like, you know, small franchises of like, you know, two or three games and playing those. And it's like Manhunt is so interesting because the 
the difference between one and two mm. is is so fascinating and like manhunt 2 is both one of the most notorious games ever and also a game that like no one has ever like played or like says anything about the actual <laughs> gameplay of yeah. like the only thing that you know is at one point it was rated ao right um and so like actually playing that and playing it so close to manhunt it's like can you imagine a rockstar game like a big rockstar game only coming out on the wii and the ps2 yeah when like the ps3 and 360 were consoles that were out and they were like we're just making a wii game yep it, 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 and it's manhunt that, <laughs> it's, I, I mean that is very strange you're right there's just so many ingredients in that stew that led to people not unpacking it as much as they should it seems like that happens all the time of like oh this game came out really late in the generation so we're not that interested where we want the big flashy new thing moving on but then in retrospect it's like yeah if it comes out late in a generation that just means the teams have more experience with the tech and the game's probably going to be more interesting and better and more worthy well, of discussion you, you would think but oh. it's not the case with man <laughs> and i take it back <laughs> It turns out Rockstar put all their good people on GTA 4, which came out in the same year. And uh, and then Manhunt 2 came out and was like, like, you know, Hillary Clinton has written letters about the video game Manhunt 2. And yet no one has ever thought about that game in the past, like, 12 years other than at one point it was rated AO. So she wrote that letter to the future. Um, what's the name of the podcast again? The podcast is called Something Rotten, and you can you can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. How beautiful. But no, Jacob Keller, I'm sorry. The answer was Patreon is how this whole thing ah, operates. Patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Thank you to everybody who's jumped over there and found a tier that's right for them. Thanks for all the kind words about our new overview video. If you're curious, you just listen to this podcast and you say, I don't really know what else MinMax does. These people blab on a, on a podcast every week, but I guess they do other stuff. Uh, we have a new video that explains all of that. If you just go to our YouTube channel, it's called What is MinMax? It's right at the top. You can't miss it. So it helps sharing that with the friends. Appreciated. And thank you to some of our biggest supporters. I'm talking about our dear old friends at IM8Bit. They want everybody to know about the new Switch package, the iM8Bit exclusive edition of A Monster's Expedition plus Earlier Adventures, the physical edition of this bundle with over 100 hours of unique, no filler puzzles as they put it, and it includes an exclusive uh, 18 by 24 poster of the full, full world map from A Monster's Expedition. It's a cool bundle of these creators' games. Check it out if you like puzzle games and just check out iM8Bit in general because their online store is fantastic. It includes the vinyl soundtrack for Monsters Expedition plus earlier adventures and a ton of other amazing stuff in there and everything in that store under $100. You can get 10% off of by using the promo code SWEETHEARTS. No space. SWEETHEARTS, everybody. No space. You can get 10% off everything in their store, which is very cool. Please go check it out and please help support them because they support us in a big way by shipping out a prize each and every week to the MinMax community. Whoever submits the best question on Patreon this week, whoever has the best question on Patreon wins from our friends at IM8Bit uh, the vinyl soundtrack to Muppet Christmas Carol. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to have? especially in February. Nice. Uh, so look alive. we got to remember who is going to win this great prize. All right, here we go. Uh, Jared Meyer writes in. They say, hey, Max crew, movies and television have Entertainment Weekly, The Hollywood Reporter, Variety. Sports have Sports Illustrated, ESPN, CBS Sports, etc. And then there's gaming. Despite being an industry that rivals the other two in overall worth and revenue, there's no quote-unquote titans of games coverage. 
Even the big names like IGN or GameSpot, or dare I say Game Informer, are always in a state of uneasy flux. And while I appreciate and love the smaller outlets like, smaller outlets like MinMax are kind of funny, I've always been confused why there's not the big go-to titans of coverage like other entertainment industries have. Why do y'all think that is? Money. Money. But there's so much money going into gaming. How uh, yeah, how so? Like, I, I mean, I just don't think that there's the... No one's cared to add it into like their news rotation. I just think that yeah. it's not as widespread or universal as something like sports and entertainment is. And even just from a historical perspective, sports has been around for so long, so much longer than video games. Like 80 years. Um, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just being a jackass and trying to derail you. Oh, it's fine. You, you, you like had big uh, student getting called out energy right now where like sometimes <laughs> I like a kid. Yes. So I was actually totally I was literally right. asking what you said, but they're like, what? Oh, never mind. I was just, I was just, I was just, be, yeah, that's what I I was making a joke um, for myself on a sure. internationally broadcast podcast. Yeah. No, totally fair. But that's kind of why, like it doesn't have that level of, um, <sighs> I don't want to say respect. That sounds kind of dramatic, but no, like it, it just is. isn't it there. Is. It's not there yet. But I, I kind of, I have a, I have a slightly different take on this, which is that um, ESPN and and like you know, I don't know what did they say were the titans of like TV coverage. Uh, Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly, Hollywood Reporter, Variety for TV. It's like movies. I kind of don't, you know, those. I I don't know if I would describe them as titans, but it's like you know, ESPN is not NFL. You know, and and because games are games are so much more products like directly than sports are like mm. our Titans are like rivals of ESPN is when Sony does a, a showcase, you know, mm. and when when like, you know, it used to be E3. Now it's now it's the Game Awards and Summer Games Fest and, you know, whatever other PlayStation Direct thing. Like, I think I, I, I think and I. I think this is a problem that like games aren't being filtered through an intermediary. We're essentially just watching advertisements for it. And so our what game like how gaming exists is essentially if the biggest cable network was just NFL, you know, like that's that's the equivalent rather than ESPN. Yeah. I think they're they're sold more as products in themselves because they are products and football is not literally something you can buy you have to buy like the ability to watch it yeah i think like that idea of the big platforms and rethinking it it's like if you just think of twitch as a platform it's like well twitch is crushing all of these so-called titans out there for other mediums and even just thinking about you know i don't think it had well i mean i don't think it had the impact even at like the height of game informers game informer subscription numbers i mean they were crushing entertainment weekly or hollywood reporter or variety I mean, yeah it's like the fourth biggest magazine in the world in the u.s i think i mean i i still think they're above yeah above a lot of those yeah magazines. probably um so it's a tough comparison jeff and you yeah, seem ready to pop it, it's also i mean sports are sports are a weird thing to compare it to because because there's an ongoing season that people are watching and so there there's always there's always coverage that you can do around the players and things. It's closer with the analogy to like movies and television. Mm -hmm. But then like, I guess the biggest difference there is no one who's interested in video games is watching, you know, like a cable TV show for it. You, you yeah. know, it's, it's not like we, we don't, we don't have an entertainment weekly because people aren't tuning in at 4 PM every day on 
channel four or whatever to watch that kind of coverage. That's not where people go for video game coverage. Yeah. And the fact that it's a different audience. Yeah. And it's probably a different audience because it didn't get the respect as a medium that early on. It wasn't embraced in a full throated way. So it's like, okay, it had to be a, a more democratic approach to coverage and then now that has led to just all right youtube and twitch and everywhere else is just that's where you yeah, go it, subreddits is where you go for your gaming news not any channel it, or it, magazine it, it's like when that coverage exploded and started to evolve we were already in an online world right and so the communities grew up yeah with ign and GameSpot, which are huge companies i mean they would be considered titans it's just there's i guess we just have more of them because you know the online world kind of allows for that for like a broader dissipation of coverage of things. Yeah, and it's like also in general, entertainment media ain't doing great either. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the there there are plenty of layoffs that are hitting game outlets all the time. There are also plenty of layoffs hitting all of those, you know, like mm-hmm. except for the kind of dinosaurs like, you know, Entertainment Weekly and whatever. That's, you know, all of these things are in a state of flux because I think all all media makers have found out that like they can just advertise directly to people and they don't have to like use critics or, you know, like press outlets to do that. Yeah. God, I don't know how often y'all like just go through your Google suggested news or whatever on the on the homepage there and just click on stuff on your phone. I just had an epiphany this week and I know this is some real dumb, obvious stuff, but I was thinking every article I click on is the most unreadable, just overloaded with ads nonsense. It just all the time. It is every single article is a miserable experience. I think there's good sites out there like Game Informer. I still think it's like a pleasant reading experience. I think there's sites out there that are still doing it well. But literally, if you just click on one of those like Google suggested articles, it's always like three sentences based on half of a tweet. And then it just feels like someone's just throwing 100 loose pages of a magazine filled with ads at your face the entire time. It is just the worst experience. But I don't know. What do you do, Jeff? What do you do? You just have a site that's so classy. You don't have any of that. And then hope that people (laughs) mention it, that it spreads. I I, I do like the Game Informer approach of we're just not going to sell ads so we don't have them to put them (laughs) <laughs> on the website. Right. That worked right. That worked well for all well, of us. What are you uh, going to do? Uh, Gregory Zoris writes in and says, Hey, Min Max, I just finished Hi-Fi Rush, and I do not have enough hyperbolic praise to give it, so I'll simply say that this is one of the best video games I have ever played. All right, Gregory, cool. that You're getting a little overblown here. Um, I think the biggest shock is the $30 price tag. Even though this game is absolutely the full package, it blows my mind. How? This would have been a huge AAA game back in the PS2 era that this game took inspiration from. If Hi-Fi Rush is not AAA, then this industry needs to rethink what that actually means. I agree. I I am confused by that $30 price tag. I think, again, that's just their perception of this game is like, "Ah, it's kind of a quirky, weird little thing. I don't think we can get away with 70 bucks for it. But now it turns out that their quirky, weird little thing is so good that it feels weird that it's only $30. I'm also curious, just like how many people are going to buy it at at all? Yeah. You know, it's like it's a Game Pass game. And I, I... You know, it's not that everyone who owns an Xbox or a PC has to have Game Pass, but like I I would love to see the numbers about like if this game launches day one on Game Pass, does it even matter how much it 
costs. I mean, it is it's Steam. It is doing well on Steam. I think it was right below the Dead Space oh, remake okay. for, for. I mean, I have, I have PC Game Pass, so I feel kind of the same. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm still getting yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's weird math just surrounding Game Pass where it's like, okay, if it's if it's not a game that's going to get you to subscribe to Game Pass, which you think is probably the ideal for a lot of games, then does it make sense to make it? cheaper for people who if you're not going to subscribe to game pass for it then do you want a low enough one where the buy-in isn't as bad for the people who aren't going to go like i i it would be fascinating to to like sit down with you know some microsoft strategists and accountants and figure out how they decide all this because they it's it's such a different path especially compared to where when everything else is like okay all games are 70 dollars now people everybody got the memo like we're all going 70 this generation mm-hmm. and microsoft is just doing just completely weird and different different approach yeah that it reminds me just of you know talking to the game's director and writer we should all keep this in mind but i always forget it but i was i was struck by just how much they were talking about bethesda like pitching this game to bethesda and part of that is that this game started development in 2017, 2018. So it was before the acquisition, obviously. But it was just a reminder of just like, oh, that's right. Like Bethesda still runs and feels like an independent organization within Microsoft. I think because it was in that developer direct next to Forza and Minecraft, we all see it as like, oh, this is an Xbox game. But like, it feels like from their point of view, it's very much, this is a Bethesda game that I guess Mm -hmm. is under the Xbox umbrella, you know? So I wonder even the pricing, if so much of that was coming down to Bethesda's team making the call. Um, Eric Zhang writes in and says, Hey crew, I've been playing, <laughs> you'll notice the theme with these. I've been playing Hi-Fi Rush over the last few days and it has been an absolute blast. Animation art style is gorgeous. The writing's charming. The comic is unique and rewarding. It also isn't very long, clocking in at around 10 hours. Um, I can't help but compare this game to Tango Gameworks' previous title, Ghostwire Tokyo. Despite being a longer, bigger budget title with a large open world, it seems like the reception around that game is much less positive with the criticisms being a lack of innovation and the quote-unquote map marker repetition of the game. My question is, do you think Hi-Fi Rush represents the blueprint for what AAA games could look like in the future? Like smaller, shorter experiences. And would you like to see more studios work on games that fit into this smaller AAA mold? It seems like a decent solution for studios facing the issues of rising development costs and longer dev cycles. Yes, Eric, I think that'd be wonderful. It is fascinating to look at the trajectory of Tango and even like Evil Within 2 compared to Evil Within 1, where Evil Within 2 is trying to incorporate more of that open world design sensibility into it and then going further with Ghostwire and then people are so cock over Hi-Fi Rush and part of the reason is like, it's just like a small contained little thing. It's beautiful. I will say Evil Within 2 is a really 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 good game and none of you know both both evil within one and ghostwire are pretty boring um i mean they're fine uh but like it's funny to just think of the blueprint for triple a games in the future being games from the past (laughs) games with (laughs) levels and the defined beginning and ending that's what we want yeah (laughs) i mean i we've said it a thousand times but i really believe that after suicide squad if rocksteady says our next game it's the scope and scale of Arkham Asylum. I feel like people would throw a parade in downtown London for that studio. They'd be so excited about that announcement. Um, so I don't think it works for everybody, but I'd like to see it for sure. I, I also like the, that the idea is, okay, the blueprint for AAA games is do something completely insane that no one saw coming and probably <laughs> couldn't replicate. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, just come up with a completely different and crazy idea and hope that you knock it out of the park on the first 
first try. Right. Have a miracle of production and somehow a game right. can pop out. Uh, that said, what are the odds of the sequel to Hi-Fi Rush is going to be an open world game? I don't think it gets a sequel. I think it's one and done. What? Yeah. I think a lot of, especially like... <laughs> You're out of your mind. Its, I don't know. It being like that smaller game, that $30 price tag. Like, yeah. if it's following the vein of what we traditionally see in the indie space, the other thing we see is rarely getting sequels. So it's not an indie game. I know, but if we're if we're talking about it being like kind of like smaller experience, I just don't see it having a sequel necessarily. I, oh, I think you're out of your mind. I think with the amount of praise, especially, I mean, who knows? It's so early, but I think this is going to be in the goatee discussion and Microsoft is so eager for something that's beloved like this and people are latching onto the characters in a way that people haven't latched onto Microsoft characters, I feel like in a big way. They do need that IP. Yeah, Yeah. maybe you're right. I I think they push it. Also, it's like, you know, there there is a modern model for this, which is like Devil May Cry 5 is like a really good linear level based game. And so like they, they haven't tried to make Devil May Cry open world and I hope they don't. Yeah. Uh, Adam Cohen writes in and says, Hey, I've been playing Hi-Fi Rush this week, and I have to ask, um, why is breaking boxes in video games so much fun? I actually get excited when I see a box to break, and I'm disappointed when there's boxes that I can't. It's like each box contains a little bit of serotonin. Am I alone in this? No. 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 It's great. Sound design, um, a little bit of feedback with a crunch, and the box can't kill you, and there's good stuff for you inside. Right. That's why. It's, It's, yeah, it's just Christmas morning. Um, for video games, it's just yeah. Christmas, Christmas is really just you're breaking some boxes. It really is, but I get I know what you're talking about specifically in Hi-Fi Rush because some boxes that you can't break, and you always have that moment of like, mm-hmm. ah, I wish this was breaking right now. I still it, try every time. Oh, of course, of course. The the best part of like any from game is you like you open the door in Dark Souls and there's a whole room full of like vases and you yeah. just like roll just through rolling, them and they yeah. all break. That's so good. It's just people like um. Kinder eggs, people like pinatas, like, is that just the simple philosophy? It's just fun to break things. I I think it creates the feeling of, I don't know, like actually kind of being in the world, like, you know, not Mm. one-to-one, like I know I'm playing a game, but it's like, oh, I I get to mess around here and manipulate things. Like, I think one of the most fun things in a game is when you think, can I do this? And then the answer ends up being yes. And I think with boxes and vases, the most common action is breaking them. So the ability to break them is satisfying in that sense. Yeah. Wes Householder, that's a cool name, uh, says, hey, y'all, what's the best brunch food? So this is this sent me down a dark, dark rabbit hole, Wes, of just thinking hard about like, what, what is a <laughs> what is brunch food compared to breakfast food? What's the difference there for everybody? It's all the same, except sometimes you can get a, also get a burger and there's alcohol. So you're saying the best brunch food burger is a contender? I would say it's a contender. Well, that, I've now had we're brunch menus that have a burger on it. Like I agree. Brunch is, brunch is like heartier, right? You know, it's like when there's brunch, you're like, a, like a bowl of cereal ain't a brunch food. You know, it's like you're right. going to get some protein in there. You're going to get some more fat. My answer as a as a Southerner is biscuits and gravy are my fa- is my favorite brunch food. Congratulations. I just think a biscuit is the best uh, like breakfast brunch bread. Uh, and then gravy is is completely like decadent and over the top, but it's delicious. You would take a biscuit over a slice of French toast. Is that what you're telling me? Easily in, wow. in a heartbeat. Wow. And I love French toast, but like a good biscuit beats yeah. out. Every, I mean, a biscuit's like a, you know, an Americanized croissant in that it's just like butter in bread form. Uh, and I, I would take it over a croissant, too. 
What, um, here's a controversial pick, but this is something that feels more brunch than breakfast or lunch. What about like a mimosa? Would that count, count for like brunch food? Not for food, because it's a drink. Ah, you got me, Wes. Gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you and your fine print, Garcia. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's That's her. what they call me. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know, I would go like, you know, I just like kind of like the classic breakfast thingy, but it's like, well, it's not, it doesn't feel that what's, brunchy. What's that to you? What is classic breakfast to you then? Mmm. Cereal? No, you get. Like, Are you serious? No, no, no. no like, I'm gonna get so mad. No, I like toast and two eggs and bacon. Um, you get some some potatoes in there, some big chunky potatoes. Potatoes are really good. Yeah. That might be okay. One of my favorite. I like. Oh um, yeah, like a like a potato hash or whatever. You got it in the skillet with all the other yeah. stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And potatoes are good in basically every form they arrive in, which is pretty impressive. Very versatile food, I mm. guess. I mean, probably potatoes, because I think a good potato hits no matter what, and you can put in a lot of different things. But what I normally get for brunch is um, probably like an Eggs Benedict Ooh, is my usual there order. There we go. So. That's, that's actually what Wes says. He says, I really like Eggs Benedict. No. <laughs> so he's got you covered. Um, Matthew Weatherly writes, and he says, hey, everyone, with the rumor this week that all the big players... No high rush. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming up. Hi, with the rumor <laughs> this week that all the... <laughs> I've been really enjoying High Five Rush this week. What's your favorite best brunch food? Um, no, Matthew says, with the rumor this week that all of the big players won't be present at E3, do you think there's an opportunity for the show to evolve into something different and maybe even better? What is your vision of a perfect E3 without Sony, Nintendo, or Microsoft? Um, <laughs> no joke. It He's, will be different. Hang on, hang on. He says, I, I'm not kidding. He says, also, your recent Hi-Fi Rush interview was awesome. Thank you for releasing that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> uh... Yeah, so there was a rumor that IGN, I think, started, posted at least, uh, that Microsoft, Nintendo, and PlayStation all won't be at E3 this year. And then I think, um, what, Stride PR, who's kind of running PR for E3, they responded being like, we just sent out the invite earlier, or like not that long ago, and we have great publishers coming up uh, that are going to be there in a big way. So they didn't really deny it. Um, PlayStation was kind of already out of there. I don't know if people are really optimistic about that. Microsoft is always kind of doing its own thing. Nintendo is, that's a tough one to lose. They had a big show floor presence. So if they're not there, it's going to feel quite different. But do you think it could be a good thing, like Matthew's asking? No, that was the part that made me smile. Oh. Because that, that, I I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how you spin a game show like that being a good thing that you've lost the three biggest publishers and console makers. Right. I mean, the cool thing would be maybe now smaller games can have more booth space and it'll be a home for more indies and smaller publishers. It's like there are, there are indie conferences, but it's just like E3 isn't that like E3. I don't Mm. think is ever going to be able to shake the fact that it was the biggest Mm. and now it's, not whereas something like a you know pax can be like word like this is the thing that makes us different e3 is just like a failed the project at this point i think it's it could just be the embracer convention at this point like it feels like that quality of publisher it's just gonna be a lot of like thk nordic gearbox you know it'll be interesting to see who's gonna be there in a big way Uh, i'm very curious about e3 this year um, Mike Lynch writes in and says, Hey y'all, with HBO's The Last of Us getting deserved praise as a video game adaptation, do you think people will now be less surprised that great video game adaptations are possible? 
Games like The Last of Us and even Detective Pikachu are now so inherently cinematic that it seems like a more easily attainable goal despite fumbles like the Halo show. I like calling Detective Pikachu inherently cinematic, but I feel like... I yeah, does that mean that they, the game they had inherently <laughs> cinematic? I, I feel like we're being extra critical of everyone who wrote in this week for some reason. We appreciate you all. You're all great. People are going to yeah, start they, writing. They, 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 no, I'm not being They really anymore. had to start reaching for their second example. I, I think like, so. The Last of Us and Detective Pikachu. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like Uncharted is right there. You know, it's like not not a great movie, but like a movie that did well. Yeah, surprisingly well, for sure. Um, so do we think that the curse is gone? Is it, Was this our last wave of people writing about an adaptation and being like, can they break the curse? Blah, 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 blah. I hope so, but I think people will still mention it. They'll be yeah. like, yep. it seems like The Last of Us may just be an anomaly. Yes. Because um, yep. I think we'll still get more bad video game adaptations because we still got that horizon show coming up and i'm not ready for that at all no. because i'm like i already have to go back for the game now you're gonna give me this mid show like i can't <laughs> i can't i think it's a little early to call the curse broken when we're like three episodes into <laughs> right. the, the first time people are like yeah we did it wow. curse is gone well people like that um you know cyberpunk's the the anime and they like right. the, arcane like there's they like yeah they like the yeah. dracula yeah. so we've had it you're cute little yeah. dracula those, those you know exactly what i'm talking about castlevania <laughs> I, I think those are those shows are all both you know easier maybe but also i find them more interesting than the last of us because it's like the reason that the last of us show works is that the last of us was a game that desperately wanted to be a movie and like did it well but it's like they can basically do that game beat for beat because mm -hmm. that game's whole idea was like what if a game could be a prestige tv show and yeah. so like they really don't have to change much for it but that's not true of you know it's like you can keep doing naughty dog games but then you're just i i don't know i don't i don't need to see a same story on a different medium and so i really like you know the like edge runners i think is mm -hmm. is a just a, a more interesting example of that um Curious, but my you, guess uh, is that more things are going to try and copy Last of Us instead. Did you watch the third episode by chance? I haven't watched it yet. Okay. I'm, I'm watching it with my partner who hasn't played the game, so it's interesting seeing her reactions to, you know, story beats. I don't want to spoil anything, but I think... I'm I not... know I know it's different. Okay, I know that's that the thing. It's a little you know, different. It's a little, it's yeah. a little different, yeah. Uh, the Sleepy Mailman writes in... By the way, Janet, you were, you were annihilated by the Last of Us episode? Oh yeah, it was amazing. Like it was so, it was stupidly good. <laughs> it's like the best thing I've seen in a really long time. Wow! Like, Have you seen like, High Five They were really in their bag for that one. Yeah, um, it, it it's was excited to see the rest of the show for sure. Uh, Sleepy Mailman says, "Hey friends, what are your tips for marathoning a game? I want to take a weekend to get a big old pizza and do nothing but play that new SpongeBob platformer. What are your <laughs> strats for not getting burnt out on long gameplay sessions? Oh, I love this Sleepy Mailman. Please invite us all over because that sounds wonderful." Can this be the new track to Shrek? Is I <laughs> I come to Minnesota and play the SpongeBob game. And we just eat pizza nonstop until we're all just our faces are just grease piles. Um, but yeah, any marathoning tips, uh, Janet? I feel like you're you're maybe the most hardcore marathoner here. Yeah, I've marathoned a lot of games. Some by choice, some by it's my job when I was guides because <laughs> right, right. That's what a guide is. <laughs> um, except you're going around every corner. Um, I think. I mean, it depends on how long the game is. I think if it's like 
a short game, it's not as that hard to sit down and eat your pizza and do a session. For me, the big thing <laughs> is um, making sure you're getting up, making sure you're drinking water, um, it, planning out the time and adding an extra time. Like if you really are trying to like, I want to beat this in a day or something, mm-hmm. you probably want to get up a little bit early, do like, you know, a morning breakfast thing. You got your coffee, you're gaming for a bit, a couple hours, take a break, eat lunch. Like, I think just making sure that you have that you're still kind of healthy while you're doing it. Um, again, it sounds like this is more of a one day weekend thing. Right. So like, but I think those things still apply. I mean, you can just sit there for like eight and 12 hours, but it's not really that good for you. So I would recommend like getting up, getting fresh air. Um, and also, you know, if you're really doing it for leisure, like making sure that as long as you're having fun with it, I think that's all that matters. But if you are looking to like hit a deadline for a specific reason, like I did that with Resident Evil 7 because I red boxed it and I'm like, okay, we got two days. Let's go. And we just play that game all night. Um, so, yeah. And see if you can invite people along. I, I really like doing that with other people <laughs> in my house or with friends. I, I really like his strategy that feels like it's from home alone. Like he just wants a large cheese pizza all to himself. That seems to be sleepy mailman strategy. Which is yeah. I mean, cool. I want to do that with um. I've been saving TMNT like the remake or whatever. Shredder's Revenge. The Shredder's Re- yeah. I've been saving that game because it's pretty short. It's like four ish hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like. We're all going to get together up to four people and we're going to eat pizza and we're going to play TMNT. And I've been saving that for a while. Yeah. Uh, Christian Feliciano writes in and says, hey, CLCs, <laughs> forgive me. After listening to Ben's excellent interview with Hi-Fi Rush's director and experiencing how amazing that game is, it's becoming more and more clear how vital it is, vital it is to have leadership that is clear and decisive. Jason Schreier's old reports about Anthem show that studio lacked good leadership with many meetings ending with no decisions made and no clear next steps. This seems to be a problem at 343 and other big studios. Those 300 to 600 people studios delivered less than stellar games with six to seven years of development, while Kojima and team gave us the incredible and fresh Death Stranding with three years of development and 80 people. Same with Inside, Outer Wilds, It Takes Two, etc., I'm in game development and animation, and I know everything we do is a team effort, but it feels like now more than ever, it's clear that the director's role is the single biggest factor in determining a game's success. What do you think? Are we going to go, are we going full on to the era of rockstar developers like Ken Levine, Amy Hennig, Corey Barlog, and Miyamoto? It's an interesting question. Again, I don't want to poke holes in everybody's questions, but Ken Levine, Amy Hennig, Maybe not the best examples of people who can like crank out games and get them out the door. Um, I think I think Christian, it's less about that singular director and more about the team, the experiment, the experience of the team. You know, the Death Stranding example works because that team largely worked together for years and years in Konami. So outside of it, they knew the structure. Producers are a huge part of this. You know, you have like a producer like Angie over at Guerrilla Games who can keep things moving, get Horizon out the door. Um, that's huge. So don't just point to who gets the most press interviews as, well, that's the reason this game is good or is shipping, you know, like that's very much surface tip of the iceberg type thing. I also think, I mean, it's like Death Stranding is a good counter example to what I'm about to say, but it's like, you know what leads itself to uh, being able to direct a game well? Making a game that has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You right, know, it's like right. like so many of these games, I think, fall apart because they're, you know, Anthem is a is a 500-person team making a game that is everything, like every genre at the same time or right, whatever. Right. And it's like, it just gets 
impossible to manage when your game is 4,000 different things. And Hi-Fi Rush does two things really well. And like, that's that's the game. And so I feel like it's, you know, we, we're attempting to make games bigger than the scope of like human possibility with with these kind of giant open world games. And they keep falling apart because no one can keep that in their head in at the same time except for maybe kojima with that stranding right no i think it's an interesting point i was i was listening to alana pierce's podcast um last night when it was with talking to the writers of gotham knights and uh, because i don't like myself i went to like the youtube comments and read those and it was just everyone be like worst written game of all time forget you but we hate this game and all this stuff and it just made me think of like you know, the singular hate that a lot of these writers are getting, especially for like open world games, there is so much writing that goes in an open world game. Is it possible to have truly great writing that is 7,000 pages of dialogue that you need to have for one of these open world games? And I was trying to think of open world games with great writing, Red Dead and Red Dead 2. I'll give it that. What else we got? What am I missing? Uh, Ragnarok. Well, it's not, not open world. world, but that is undoubtedly. I mean, that it's is, pretty open world. It's open well, zone. There's you one, sure got a lot of just quips being said while on car rides. Well, they do have a lot of what? It is a lot. It is. It does have that scope that you're talking you're about. Right, like, you're it right. It could have been open world. Yeah. So well, I get what you mean. There's I a mean, lot of text in that game. It's in, yeah. It would, it's an unbelievably long script, and I guess that's a good point. And some people were annoyed by it. Um, but yeah, that is that is a good contender for just a lot of dialogue yeah. and by and large, I think, it's good. I think like you know. Spider-Man. I think Miles Morales has yeah. really good writing. That yeah. is a smaller game, um, but okay. it is like an open world game. You know, at that point, doesn't stand at all. You're all right. Um, Travis Brinkley writes in and says, "Hey, Min Max, has anyone here played Herbs Sims in the City, or do you want to for New Show Plus?" <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm laughing because uh, my. My, the second time I'm referencing my partner, who is not a, a, a huge gamer, but references herbs constantly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have had that written down in my list for a very long time to play Herb Sims in the City um, because it looks so absurd. And I, Travis, maybe it was even you that wrote in right when Min Max started and you're like, you've got to play herbs. You need to play herbs. Um, and so, yeah, this, this comment on Patreon pushed me over the edge and I, I ordered a copy of Herb Sims in the City because I was like, I I would imagine that Sarah in particular, like a stream of herbs with Sarah sounds like content gold, I tell you. Uh, so uh, yeah, at some point we will try and do that. What is that game? Oh, well, you know The Sims? Yes. Imagine if they went to the city. <laughs> it, and you remember it, when Babe did it? Like Sim City? No, completely different. <laughs> is it The Sims but offensive? Is that? Yes. Is that? What they're uh, going for? Yeah, no, it is. It's it's the Sims, but the idea is we want a version that we can have on consoles, and so it's like a streamlined. And my and understanding and of like it, Game Boy. Oh, oh, really? God. So my understanding of it is it's more of like less simmy, <laughs> more herby. No, less simmy, and you're kind of it's a little more focused and story driven take on the Sims, and I think they're redesigned. I think the Black Eyed Peas are involved in some way. Uh, I'm going to read you, yeah, the second and third uh, sentences of the plot description on Wikipedia. Yeah. In the intro, the protagonist decides to go clubbing. Once the protagonist <laughs> gets to the club, they are refused entry due to failing at performing a dance move. Yes. However, Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas, along with other members of the band, arrive at the club and help the protagonist enter. Now this is gaming, everybody. This is what we want. 
keep your open world games. Who was the director on that game? It was uh, John Johannes. Uh, please look forward to his interview soon. Uh, Chandler wrote in, <clears throat> and they say, isn't it weird that if you have $20 and I ask, do you have $5? You'd say yes. But if I ask, how much money do you have? And you said $5, that would be a lie? <laughs> isn't it, is that not weird? <laughs> You this don't have like, to read all these bits. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Um, we can get this a Twitch is like when you said on. there was a movie released last year and Leo said multiple movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe it's a level of dumb. Uh, Dougie Fresh to Death writes in and says, I recently got a group of friends to play Cash and Guns. And for a non-board game crowd, it was a really big hit. I actually have this game because y'all played it for a board game video back in the day at MinMax. Uh, my question is, what's another group board game that would be a good follow-up to this to capitalize on the momentum from Cash <laughs> and Guns? I'd love to play a group game with a few more interesting systems or a story, but I don't want to scare people away. Now, this is this is very important. Not scaring people away. I, I really think there's a board game threshold where it's like, okay, you got four to five people, you can get some good, more strategic games. You get above five, you get above six, it is tough to have a good big tabletop game and cash and guns i do think is what you want it can hit up to eight players i know i'm just praising the thing you already like but for up to eight players it's silly you're pointing little foam guns at each other and doing these little robbery scenarios it's really fun you will laugh a lot playing cash and guns and that's all you want and there's strategy um but what is the successor jeffum that's not going to scare anybody away but it's maybe a little deeper nudge into stories and systems I have no idea. Come, wait, uh, you're missing, I, have you looked behind I you, don't know you where, maniac? I don't know where you go, but uh, Cash and Guns is such an anomaly that yeah. um, I don't know. Play play Wavelength. <laughs> yeah, uh, ooh, I mean, wait, that is, that is a very... there's no story in Wavelength. That's no, true. There's no, there's no story whatsoever. I, I do think that's a great choice, though. If you've never played Wavelength, I'll look into it. It's the one and that's... I, I really don't like board games, and that is, like, the one that I own. Really? I, I think Wavelength so is great. And it's good for big groups, yeah. We were trying to... You get a spectrum of things. You're trying to get everybody to guess where on the spectrum this thing lies. It, it's a tough thing to explain, but... Wait, so does the gun, the whatever in guns one that has story to it? Like a narrative? Cash and guns? No, mm, I, I mean, no. there's, like, a premise of your, your bank okay. robbers. And so... I mean... Ah... Uh, I don't know because I feel like it might be too hard. I, I like Machi Cora a lot, but I think it is a little thinky. Mm, okay. Um, I was I was thinking of uh, first I thought of stuff like oh, like a monikers or something. But it's like eh, uh, betrayal. The House of the Hill is you're, awesome. You're, you're scaring think, people. You're scaring. Yeah, I, betray- yeah. No, no, betrayal's scary. I remember <laughs> oh, being a at like a bar that scary. had board games, and my friends were like, "Let's play betrayal," and I. Yeah. Never learned oh, anything that okay. whole night. Yep, I get it. I it was get it. too hard. Um, I, I don't the, think you can have story and have casual no. as much. No. So I think you have to just go more casual. I don't think you're going to get... That might be just the holy grail of yeah. hardcore meets casual. Although, I mean, I, th- I think Codenames is still the greatest tabletop game ever. And so and that can accommodate a group that big and it's not going to scare anybody away. Um, one so, game Codenames. I... Really quick, one game I just got really into um, is called Linky. Linky Ooh. with two E's at the end. Um, and it does have a few flaws because I feel like sometimes the cards are kind of incorrect. But it's a really <laughs> oh. cool game where you are given um, like three kind of fill in the blank or questions. It'll be something like, 
um, I'm trying to think of one offhand. Oh man, it'd be like um, this uh, Pokemon named Blank was Ash's partner, and you like write down Pikachu or whatever on your paper, and you have all these different like it's like three or four of them, and then the goal is to say Linky and say what the link between them is. Mm. So it might be like video game characters or yellow or whatever the link is. And like, that's the whole premise of the game. And then you collect the letters. The only, the only thing with that game is it can get, can get a little long, but you can always modify it. Like, oh, you only need, the goal is to spell out Linky and each card has a letter to it. You get the right, card right, if you right. win it. Just spell Link, you'll be good. Um, Bear Commando writes in and says, hey crew, uh, you mentioned in Game of the Year debates that no one is talking about Aperture Desk Job despite adding more lore to the Portal universe. Do you think this is a sign of a bigger problem? Namely, people stop caring about franchises when it's 10 plus years between entries. If Valve tried to make Half-Life 3 right now, an 18-year-old gamer might not care because they literally weren't born when Half-Life 2 came out. Do you think a similar effect will happen with the next Elder Scrolls or Pikmin games? Pikmin's interesting. Um, I think now. there's... Yeah, like GTA, no. it's been a decade now um, since the last one came out. But I think there's certain franchises that are immune to it. But I wonder if franchises that where the narrative interconnecting them matter, I think that might be the secret ingredient here, right? Because like Elder Scrolls, sure, you'll be fine jumping into Elder Scrolls 6. You'll be fine jumping into Pikmin 4 if you want to include that one. You it's know? like I'm sure with Portal 3, you know, if they made Portal 3, it wouldn't be like, now make sure you know what happened in Portal 2 and Aperture Desk Job. It's like, you know, they'd be good at just getting you into that story yeah i think i think the only reason that people didn't talk about aperture desk job is it's a tech demo for the steam deck and people you know, thought it was like, exclusive it's yeah. good but it's like it's 15 minutes long and most people thought they couldn't play it if they didn't have a steam deck yeah yeah that's probably fair uh the juan writes in the juan one and they say uh does it mean that live alive is now on min max's list of two tens because rumbleverse is being delisted Oh, Ooh. good question. Now it's even more important that Rumbleverse was on the. I think you're right. because now it's a historical thing. document. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's at uh, Leo's beloved Rumbleverse from Iron Galaxy. It's shutting down. I think at the end of February, and they kind of left it open a little bit in the post about it. Like maybe it'll come back in a different form. Um, but it yeah, feels so but quick. they're also yeah. refunding every purchase. So yeah, it it yeah. does it, it it is really quick, Janet. It's. Surprising. I saw I saw someone posting. It's just like with every one of these that goes down, I think that Metal Gear Survive is still online. <laughs> the, <laughs> the servers for that game are still active. Well, it's, it's in the name, amazing. you know. That's right. That's right. Uh, it'll never get old. It'll never die. David Sobi Garage writes in and says, "Hello, Min Maxers. Now that Game Informer has released their Game of the Year issue and Kyle Hilliard's top ten has been revealed. Finally, the secrets have been unearthed. We also tweeted it out from MinMax's uh, Twitter account. Um, everyone in the group's top tens are now known for MinMax. So, using each person's list, I assign point value values from 10 to 1 to the list <laughs> to compile the mathematically correct version of the two tens. Mm, the kind of funny method. This is This exactly. is great. People used to do this every year when we were at Game Informer, and mm. they'd write in and be super crabby about it. And I'd, I would always post it in the magazine because I'd also be crabby about our list. And so <laughs> it's nice that it's coming around and they're doing it to us now. Yeah, but it's also nice that I don't think David's crabby. I think uh, I, hopefully there are no people that are crabby about this, but yeah. turns out this was the correct answer all along and we blew okay. it. Okay, so it turns out if you mathematically fuse everybody's top tens for min-max, this should have been the two tens. Number one, 
Elden Ring. Number two, God of War Ragnarok. Not so bad. Number three, this is where Jacob gets mad. Vampire Survivors should have been number three. Vampire yeah. Survivors. Uh, then Kirby and the Forgotten Land, number four. Then number five was Xenoblade. Number six, Horizon Forbidden West. Number seven, Citizen Sleeper. Number eight was a tie, Pokemon Legends Arceus and Immortality. That is one that gives me pause of like, Legends Arceus would have been eight and it didn't even make the two tens? I, I feel like we could have fought for it. Um, number, tie for number 10, Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope and Pentiment. Uh, Tiny Ken, number 12. Number 13, Splatoon 3. Tie for 14, Marvel's Midnight Suns and Hard Space Shipbreaker. Tie for 16, Nobody Saves the World and The Case of the Golden Idol. Good job, Case of the Golden Idol, by the way. I mean, that, that really fought its way up that list. Uh, tie for 18 between Live Alive, Ollie Ollie World, Cult of the Lamb, Rumbleverse, Signalis, and oh Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Well, now Ooh. everything's just broken. Everything's broken and nothing is right. But thank you, David, for doing that math. And David did the math immediately, right when that Game Informer issue dropped. He was on it, so thank you. Because <laughs> of the final piece of the puzzle. He had, yeah, he had yeah. the Excel spreadsheet already made. Kyle, just tell me what you like, you monster. Uh, okay, what do y'all like for uh, question of the week here? Also, Kyle came up a lot in this podcast. He did. <laughs> just kind of, I wonder yeah. if he's going to listen to this episode. I miss him. Kyle and Hi-Fi Rush. Does anybody have anything nice to say about Kyle? I exactly. also like lighters. <laughs> like lighters? Can you just extend that silence for like three minutes on the podcast <laughs> to version? Be fair, to be fair, I'll also do the flip side. Does anybody have anything really mean to say about Kyle? Well, here's the thing. So oh. many, when you said anything nice, so many thoughts rushed through my head that I right, couldn't right. the words. Yeah, you know? we couldn't filter it down to right. it's like, the yeah, human language. Yeah. Where Mr. do you even begin? It's best just not to, you know? That's exactly right. Um, okay, question of the week. Um, I'll get the ball rolling. I like the... Um, it generated a talker talking about if there's the titan of game coverage compared to other media. Um, mm. Breaking boxes, I think, is solid. I like that. I like the cash and guns question. They took a recommendation and it worked, so that's flattering. I like David doing the math. I mean, that's that's good for the two, the correct two tens. How's everybody else feeling? I like the ESPN one, the the titans. Yeah, I think that had the best conversation. Right? Janet. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, David. We're giving it to Jared Meyer for the Titans of Game Coverage question. Congratulations, you just won the Muppets uh, Christmas Carol vinyl soundtrack from our friends at i8bit. And now, you know, it's time for Get a Little of This. Hell yeah. Kick it off, Jeff. I'm rocket, dude. Uh, get a load of this. This one, it was, it was also posted in the discord but i found it all by myself so it doesn't count so i'm not giving uh miss krizzle any any um publicity please don't thanks please don't it. even mention that name. um but this is a twitch stream called nothing forever um and it's basically <laughs> a computer generated seinfeld show that will stream eternally on twitch is how it's called uh, it's it's <laughs> made using AI because I can't do a get a load of this. Doesn't have something to do with AI, <laughs> right? Um, but they they yeah they use a large language model to just generate uh, conversations between Seinfeld characters who are like low poly versions with with off brand names. Um, but it but it it cuts between scenes, you know, like Weird. in Jerry's apartment and then him doing stand up. But it's all just generated nonsense uh and it's very popular on twitch 
That, and Natron B was just watching the seats. So that, that's check a very, it out. That's a very good idea. And like eh, legally distinct enough, I hope. Um, it's La- it's Larry Feinberg. So. Oh, Larry Feinberg. It's like yeah. the Fablemans. I get it. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back and watching all of Seinfeld chronologically, there's an episode in the first or second season, Janet. I think you and only you might care about this. Where it's funny where Jerry gets in an argument with his girlfriend because she or somebody that he's dating because she liked a Hanes commercial and Jerry was talking about how stupid the Hanes commercial like those like the pants or is like the khakis yeah. commercial like oh this khakis commercial and Jerry's argument for why it's a bad commercial Ooh, is, I just love whatever yeah he goes it's so stupid they're all just standing around talking nothing happens it's a commercial about nothing and she's like that's why it's good and such because like I know it's like a misnomer for arguing that Seinfeld is a show about nothing because based on the one episode it was just weird to have the flip of Jerry making that argument early on in the show Anyways, uh, hey, get a load of this. Um, there's a podcast uh, co-hosted by Mike Futter, former co-worker of mine from Game Informer called Virtual Economy. And it's very good at diving into the business of games in a way that very few podcasts do. I always learn something from it. Um, but Mike Futter said an interesting little factoid that he learned recently, and I, I live for these types of dumb factoids, is um, he learned that apparently if you have DLC in your game, a good example, for example, is a Minecraft. If you have like a skin pack, in Minecraft, and it's like characters or elements from other games, if the age rating for the game that the skin pack is from is higher than Minecraft, then they can't call it by the name of that game. Does that make sense? So you can't have the Halo skin pack in Minecraft because you don't want kids to know the name Halo because the age rating's higher. So they have to call it the Master Chief pack, or they can't have Elder Scrolls stuff in there, so they have to call it the Dovahkiin pack. It's because they can't mix and match the age ratings, which is a mm. weird, funky idea. This is this is something that I have been uh, fascinated by because I believe, uh, yeah, John Wick in Fortnite, the skin is called the Reaper because John Wick is his name, but it's also the name of those movies, and and uh, John Wick is rated R. Oh, is that what it is? is that is he actually John? Wick? Oh yeah, I he's, he's just the guy like, that he's in like there. It. Oh, um, weird. But but yeah, he's not called John Wick or like Keanu Reeves. Right. Because yeah, because that's the thing, because you can't call it the name of the movie and he's the character. That's a tough one. Uh, let's see. Janet, what do you got? Uh, get a load of this. Um, again, very specific audience here. Squ- the Squishmallows did that Pokemon collab. It's finally being released at retailers. So um, if you want to just drive around forever looking for Pikachu and Gengar, I'll see you out there, man. Like, <laughs> one of us got to get one of them, right? What are they? There's, oh, Squishmallows are like a brand of circular soft plushies. Oh, those thingies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, got it. Uh, that sounds cute. I want to hug one. Uh, Jacob, what do you got? Uh, get a load of this. Um, I think most of us have seen uh, Alex Mukala, the uh, composer on Twitter who makes yeah. kind of like funky versions of game songs and stuff. Um he made a while ago a a kind of funky version of the uh, Ludwig the Holy Blade track from Bloodborne. Um, and then just today, there was a woman who plays violin who did like a violin accompaniment to him playing the bass. Oh, uh, so her name is uh, Lucia La Reza or the nerd violinist. This is just a tweet, but it's just like a minute long. And it's just like two people absolutely jamming out to this funky Bloodborne song. And it's very cool. That sounds good. There's links below for all this fun stuff. Um, what did you pull from the community discord there, Jeff? Uh, get a load of this. This one is from 
uh, Spooky Plants 666. No. Um, and it's a it's a new video from Carl Jobst or Jobst or Jobst. I'm not sure how he pronounces his name. He he's he's the uh, fellow who broke a lot of the news on the um, o- video game auctions and appraisals oh, and sure. how that's all a huge scam. But this one uh, is about Doom, and it's about. Um, it's called Doom's Most Mysterious Glitch Finally Solved After 30 Years. And it's basically about how the speedrun community for Doom, there's there's been this glitch where you can uh, clip through walls that's been known for since the 90s. Um, but but someone finally put out put together how to use it, how to actually make it replicate it, because it it happens very rarely and no one could ever figure out what was making it happen. But he figured out how to how to use it in order to pass this one level in, you know, like 17 seconds or something. But it, it's a, it's a very deep and very specific dive on the Doom speedrunning community and how cool. they kind of figure out he, he like ran simulations that would take like 300 years for a player actually doing it yeah. to figure out like the correct button inputs and all these kind of things in order to exploit this one bug and how That's cool. that, that community just keeps on keeps on going and keeps on coming up with new things. Um, and it's, it's a testament to his other work of, he's just very good at, at breaking things down and analyzing things, yeah. you know, really informative and entertaining way. Uh, Jeff, did you know that, um, Dan Rakert has really gotten into speed running for punch out? Do you know no. the saga? He's, he's on the leaderboard. I think like number 60 or something. I think last fire escape, he was talking about it. Like number 60 in the world for speed runs on punch out at this point. Wow. It's, it's really fascinating to his journey. I'm proud of him. I think it's cool. Um, let's see other stuff here at Minmax. We have Party Chat, which is our bonus podcast that airs each and every week. You know, just a reminder. I feel like we mentioned on this show a lot, but for the basics, um, this is a show each and every Monday. If you support us on Patreon at the five dollar tier, you unlock this right in your favorite podcast app. If you want to more than double the amount of Minmax podcast content on your phone, not through the browser or anything funky like that, uh, you can support us at that five dollar tier on Patreon. Uh, this week's episode of Party Chat, we talk about the Sandman a lot. Um, naturally, I've still been uh, reading those books. Um, we talk about the Oscar nominees. And then also, more importantly, uh, we're joined by Shannon Liao um, from the Washington Post. Uh, she talks about the end of launcher over there in the Washington Post, shutting down that whole vertical and um, her losing a job and what that means for the future of games journalism. She's a very smart journalist. Um, so reach out to her if you have a, a job. But um, if you want an in-depth discussion about the future of games journalism, uh, you can check that out in Party Chat, our bonus podcast. Um, also, we have a new episode of Steam Secret Stash that is up on our YouTube channel right now. Sarah and Anna jumping through the most obscure, weird games on Steam over the last month. And it's a, it's the first anniversary of Steam Secret Stash. That, that show is one year old, so show it some love. It's sweet. Um, also, the Game Champion tier, where people can choose any game under the sun, become the champion of it. Um, do we have a poll every three or four months or so to determine which game out of all these games people are championing we're going to make bonus content about? And the last poll we did, the winner was the Magic School Bus Explores the Human Body, which is perfect. I'm so happy that one. It is such a weird choice. Um, because of the holidays and people traveling, um, we haven't been able to make the content about it. But what I'm saying to you right now is um, we're going to be streaming through that entire game. Uh, Sarah and I are going to be streaming the Magic School Bus. Um, and the plan right now is to do it Tuesday, the evening of Tuesday, um, February 7th on MinMax's Twitch channel. So give us a follow at MinMax Show if you want to watch that. It'll be a very fun, silly time. Also, still floating around the dates. Um, 
But the new episode of Trivia Tower is coming up in February, and it's going to be a weird one and an exciting one. Jacob, I haven't told you what this is yet. I promise when I tell you what the next episode of Trivia Tower is going to be, you're going to squeal. I promise you will squeal. I'm going to squeal. All right. Not to the public, but just out of glee. Um, also, this is a weird thing for uh, an outlet that's run on Patreon. I talk about it in party chat every once in a while, but I just felt like every once in a while it's nice to take a step back and remind people. Um, we love having your support on Patreon. Everybody jumping in there, whatever tier works for them is how we exist. Well, I want to point out, find the tier that's comfortable for you. Never push yourself beyond your limits financially for a tier on Patreon. Don't feel a sense of guilt to stay at the $100 tier, $50 tier, something like that. Whatever works for you, we appreciate, but we like MinMax because it's sustainable um, as it is now. And so we want things to be sustainable on your end as well. So just a reminder, find a comfortable level on Patreon. Don't push out of guilt. Is that a fair message, Jeff, as you take a big swig? That's great. Okay. That's a that's a very considerate considerate message for the community. Thank you. Thank you so much. How many Patreons would do that? And that's why you should up your <laughs> tier right now. That's right. Have you seen that $300 tier? You can play games with us, Patreon. <laughs> all right. That's it for this episode of the podcast, everybody. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.